we are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topics Sound Off. And tonight we are reviewing Dover International Speedway. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, and that is Andy Blasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Well, Sharon, as always, I appreciate you having me on and uh, excited to be here for the full one tonight. Uh, Looking forward to recapping uh, the weekend of racing action that we saw. Yes, indeed. I'm looking forward to it as well. Our first half hour will focus on the Arca Menard Series. Uh, uh, Arca East actually had a race this weekend at Dover, so we'll talk about that. And we'll also give some updates from the Arca West as well as the Arca Menard Series. Uh, So definitely looking forward to talking about Ty Gibbs bringing home another dominant win in the Arca East. Yeah, it's uh, it's just amazing what he's doing right now. Um, obviously, an incredible talent, um, but it's hard to, no matter what series it is, whether it's Arc and Menard Series East or Truck Series or or a late model race, to be able to go out there and lead every single lap, that's that's pretty hard to do. And I think that that's just a testament to the uh, the talent that he has. And you know, we always. It's always fun to watch these up-and-coming drivers and, and drivers that we think have a really, really bright future, and I think it's fair to say Ty Gibbs is in that category. He definitely is, and we'll talk more about it here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we are going to get into uh, some updates also from the Camping World Truck Series. They did not race this weekend, but they um, are going to be racing Uh, coming up, so we'll give you the details of uh, what's going on in the truck series uh, so that everybody's up to date and when they are ready to race again. Uh, Then at 8, at about, uh, let's see, 8.20 or 9.20, we will get into the Xfinity series at Dover and their race, and then at 9.40, we'll talk about the Cup Series race at Dover and a lot of uh, good wins in both of those races as well. Of course, our last half hour, and sometimes it goes a little bit longer than that, is our Hot Topic Sound Off with our Gonzo Racing crew. So, big night tonight, uh, Jake. Or, I'm sorry, Andy. That's right, the other Jay. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of a lot of good racing to talk about from the weekend. So uh, certainly looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started with the Arkham and Arts uh, Series East. Uh, those guys put on a good show this weekend out at uh, uh, Dover International Speedway. Ty Gibbs has just been an amazing and 18-year-old driver from Charlotte, North Carolina driver. I'm sorry, North Carolina has put together another perfect day at the racetrack in the Arkham and Art Series East. Uh, he won the pole and uh, uh, was fastest in practice uh, and went on to lead, I think, just about every lap in uh, route to his win in the General Tire 125 this weekend. Yeah, he his did. second time he's done that. Yeah, he led every single lap and obviously uh, put together uh, an incredible performance. And, and, you know, like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's you, you have to appreciate those types of performances uh, no matter what series it is for sure. Um, and then also um, a pretty impressive performance from Josh Berry, who finished his second share, and he actually had never been to that racetrack before. 
Um, and in order to prepare for the uh, Xfinity Series race, he entered the Arkin Menard Series East race. And I think for I think that also should speak to his talent level and, and what his future looks like too. Because uh, any time that uh, you, you show up to a racetrack for the first time, there's a whole new set of challenges in terms of trying to get acclimated with the racetrack and whatnot. So to be able to go there and, and run second, uh, pretty pretty solid performance for Josh as well. Yes, indeed. Josh Berry's been very impressive. And uh, not just in what he did at the Arkham and Arts uh, East race, uh, having raced at a track that he's never been on before, but uh, what he's doing in the Xfinity series as well. And he was able to have a debut in the uh, uh, Cup series this weekend as well, filling in for uh, Justin Haley, who was out because of the COVID protocol. So a lot of impressive racing from Josh Berry this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of looking back a little further here in, in the running order, David Gilliland, obviously a veteran of the sport, been around a long time, uh, finishes third, uh, solid performance from him. And um, Sammy Smith finishes in fourth, which is a pretty solid effort for him. In fact, I'm looking here. Uh, that would have been a teammate, actually, to Ty Gibbs. So uh, for him to go out there and mm-hmm. run fourth is uh, pretty impressive. And uh, Max Gutierrez in, uh, in fifth, there's your top five. All great performances for those drivers this weekend. Yes, indeed. Sammy Smith has been impressive all season long. He's got those two wins uh, at Five Flags Speedway and then at Kansas Speedway. Uh, and uh, now a fourth-place finish. He's still the series points leader, and, and that's pretty cool. Now the next five drivers were Daniel Dye in sixth. Connor Mosak uh, in seventh was making his series debut this weekend. Joey East from the West uh, was in uh, seventh or eighth place. Then it was Jade Buford and uh, Ed Pampa rounding out the top ten. So Smith now has a lead uh, after four of eight races. Uh, and uh, also Mason Diaz, who uh, has been having some good runs, finished in 11th. Parker Retzlaff in 12th. And Raja Caruth finished in 14th place. Yeah, you know, obviously some of these drivers, you know, probably didn't have the race that they had hoped for um we can finish out the running order here um let's see in 15th we had um get going drew dollar i'm sure that's a disappointing performance for that team uh venturini motorsports always a, a top contending team obviously they had a a crash so a disappointing result for them in 16th justin carroll uh 17th and then jesse love uh rounds out the field in an uh, 18th place, so obviously um, some drivers back here that were in hopes of of performing a little bit better, but obviously, uh, as we all know, with racing, things can happen, and uh, certainly not the days they were looking for. Yes, indeed. Jesse Love, who is last year's uh, ARCA, ARCA West champion, is actually going to be on our show on Thursday night. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to talking to him. He's never raced at Dover before. So I'm sure this was an attempt to get out there and get his feet wet and and see what that was all about. 
uh, he he's a pretty young driver as well. So um, it's been really fun watching him race and, and do as well as he's doing out there in the West. And uh, so even though it wasn't the finish he was looking for, I give him a lot of credit for taking that trip out here and racing at a track he's never been at before. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you can uh, show up to a track that you've never been to and put together a solid performance is is a good weekend. So, um, you know, certainly uh, certainly some good finishes for these drivers. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that the ones who maybe didn't get the result they were hoping for, they'll be able to turn it around in the next one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there will be some other races coming up. Uh, I also want to kind of uh, get a little deeper here with the points as well because uh, it's pretty tight up at the top. I will. Sammy Smith has the point to lead, uh, but behind him is Mason Diaz, who's 22 points back, and Max Gutierrez is just one point behind Mason at 23 points back. Joey East is 28 points back. And Daniel Dye, uh, those guys in the top five there in the series point standings, is just 33 points back. So 33 points from first to fifth is pretty close. Uh, it's equally tight between Parker Resclaff in sixth and uh, Raja Caruth in seventh, uh, 38 and 40 points respectively there. And then you've got Dick Delhaney in eighth, Carson Quaffle in ninth, and Taylor Gray, who actually is not racing right now, uh, because of his car accident, uh, still is holding on to 10th place there. Uh, the top eight drivers have all raced all four races so far this season. Yeah, it should be noted that, um, you know, after four races with a very tight points margin, such as it is, um, really going even back to seventh, eighth place, only 40 points, you know, there's a lot of racing left, and, and certainly we could see these positions change hands. Um, you know, very, very tight point differential after a few races, and, I, you know, it just shows you how competitive the series is. So um, I would expect things to, you know, probably mix up a little bit, and you may see some drivers, um, you know, back fifth and sixth in points who maybe they'll get better as the year goes on and, and be able to get up there and, contend for that point lead. So despite the fact that uh, Sammy Smith does have a, a fairly solid 22-point lead, we all know that plenty of racing left, and we can certainly see some of those positions change hands a bit. So um, long way to go yet, but uh, a pretty impressive uh, tight points battle there up toward the front of the uh, standings. Yes, indeed. They're actually at the halfway mark because there's eight races, I believe, for the ARCA East this season. And, in fact, their next race is going to be Saturday, June the 12th, the North Carolina 200 at Southern National Motorsports Park. Uh, so you'll want to mark that on the calendar. And then also the General Tire 125 uh, was actually streamed live on TrackPass for NBC Gold members. But it's going to re-air this Friday, May the 21st, at 12.30 a.m. Now, we keep getting different times, so I always tell people, check your local listings. But if you know that it's uh, going to be at a time that you're not able to watch, like 12.30 a.m., uh, and I'm assuming that's Eastern time, you'll want to uh, make sure you set the DVR uh, because a lot of these races uh, feature uh, some door-to-door 
side-by-side racing that you don't see uh, except on these short tracks with uh, these drivers from the Arkham and Art series. So. Yeah, absolutely, Sharon. Uh, certainly looking forward to it. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, talk here about the other series that didn't race this weekend. Uh, that would be the ARCA uh, Menard Series as well as the ARCA West. Now, in the ARCA Menard Series, there's some good things coming uh, in that series because the first race of the Sioux Chief Showdown is going to be taking place on May the 22nd. The Earth Potato Chips 200 will be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at Toledo Speedway. Uh, and that's going to be kind of exciting because, as you know, Andy, there are 10 races within the 20-race schedule of the Arkham Menard Series that gives drivers a chance to earn a second championship within the series, and it's the Sioux Chief Showdown Championship. That's going to be televised on Mass TV. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of people in this race uh, because of that, Sioux Chief Showdown, uh, looking to, to go after that opportunity to win the championship within the championship, if you will. Yeah, that's what's really kind of unique about the Arkham Menard series is you not only have that showdown, but there's also the, the Super Speedway Challenge for the owners as well. So there's kind of two or three different championships going on with the ARCA series. And that's kind of, it's unique in the sense that there's different battles going on between the drivers, the owners, and then the showdown, as you just mentioned. So, um, you know, pretty cool that they do that. And it it gives these teams and owners an opportunity uh, to maybe win one of the championships, even if they can't win the other two. So um, it's cool that they do that. I don't think we generally see that in most racing divisions. Yeah, I don't think so either, and so it does make it kind of cool to watch. So uh, also, uh, let's take a look at the series point standings for the Arkham Menard series because uh, that's a championship all in and of itself as well. Yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty good battle there. Obviously, Corey Heim is the points leader. Um, a very impressive start to his season in just four races. He has two wins, four top fives, and four top tens. It's hard to do much better than that, so a very strong start to him. (laughs) But he only holds a 13-point lead over his teammate, Drew Dollar, who's in second. Ty Gibbs certainly, um, you know, has been very impressive as well. We've talked about him already coming off that Arca Bernard Series East win. Um, But for him to uh, hold third in the standings, he – has two wins with three top fives and three top tens, and he's only 23 points back. I don't know if he's running the full season or not, but certainly he's in the running if he is. Kyle Sieg in fourth and uh, Thad Moffat in fifth there, and Tad's only uh, 38 points out of the lead, so certainly pretty tight uh, points battle there in the top five. Yeah, and that's just after four races. So I expect as the season goes along here, uh, we'll be seeing that uh, continue to be tight. Um, the next uh, five drivers are Jack Wood, uh, Nick Sanchez, Brett Holmes, Tony Breidinger, and D.L. Wilson. Now, not all of those drivers have been able to race all four races. Brett Holmes has only been in three. 
uh, of those races and still being able to maintain that eighth-place finish. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it is impressive, and that just, you know, kind of goes to show you that the the races that they have run, you know, they've, they've done a pretty good job. Brett Holmes, for example, in eighth, he, he's run one less race than the other competitors, but two top fives and, and uh, two top tens there puts him in that position. So certainly um, some strong runs from some of these drivers that um, allow them to remain pretty solid in the points despite not running all the races. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Also, um, we've got the Arca West series. Their next race isn't going to be for a while. Uh, their next race is coming up uh, in June. That would be June the 5th at 5 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Pacific time. And it's going to be a road course, uh, Andy, the General Tire 200 at Sonoma Raceway. And uh, fans will be able to watch uh, that on Track Pass if they are members of that uh, group at NBC Gold. So uh, really encourage everybody to sign up for that uh, to be able to watch this road course race because usually we find some kind of interesting entries on the list for this ARCA race at Sonoma. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth, and I think this is going to be one worth watching, not that any of them aren't worth watching, but um, it should be important to note that um, NASCAR did not, or any series, I don't believe, um, as far as stock car racing is concerned, raced at Sonoma last year due to the pandemic. Um, obviously, right. NASCAR NASCAR makes its return to Sonoma next month in conjunction um you know, with the Cup Series is the West Series. And I think you, just as you said, I think you're going to see some pretty intriguing entries and, and possibly some some uh, Cup names in that field. I don't know any as of yet, nor have I seen anything about it, but we'll have to keep our eyes peeled uh, for any news regarding that because I think it'll be a pretty stacked field uh, in terms of competitors because given that we haven't been out there in two years, I'm sure drivers will be anxious to try to get some experience on that track, especially those maybe that have never raced there in the Cup Series before. So uh, that West Series race, I would expect, will be uh, a real good one. And uh, road course racing always puts on a good show. So it should be a lot of fun, and uh, I think that'll be one certainly worth um, taking a look at. If if you're not already a watcher of the West Series, that'll be a, a good one to check out. Yes, indeed. and And also keep in mind... They've only got one race in the book so far, Angie. So uh, this is going to be an important race for the entire series. And uh, a lot of these guys are looking to uh, gain in the point standings so that they can, um, you know, be in an advantageous place for that next race. So, I again, there's just so much going on in these series, you want to make sure that you're tuning in uh, for as much action as you can. Absolutely. Um, if you want, we can run through the standings here. Um, as you mentioned, they've sure. only run one race. That was uh, out at Phoenix uh, just a couple of months ago. So it has been a little bit of time since we've seen the Arkham Menard Series West. But uh, a familiar name here at the top, of course, Ty Gibbs, the point leader by virtue of that, that win uh, in Phoenix. Uh, Corey Heim in second Thad Moffat in third, Kyle Sieg fourth, Derek Krause fifth. So 
Um, there's that, those are your top five in points, and of course, only being one race in, we would expect that uh, things will change drastically. Um, you know, after that next race at Sonoma, but nonetheless, um, those are your top five, and certainly some very familiar names. Uh, who many of these drivers we see race uh, multiple, uh, not just the Arca Menard Series West, but also the East, and sometimes the Arca Menard Series itself. So, uh, some very familiar names there in the top five, Sharon. Yes, they are familiar names, and probably the first driver that's actually going to be a West driver is Jesse Levin in sixth place, and right behind him is Drew Dollar in uh, seventh place. They are both 11 points back. Then you've got another tie between Todd Souza and Taylor Gray. We know Taylor's situation, uh, and I don't think he's going to be back for a little while. But right now he is tied with Todd Souza at 13 points back. And then Trevor Huddleston is a name a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, we were, were working on getting Tim Huddleston, his dad, on the show with us. He was supposed to be on last Monday and uh, couldn't make it. But uh, uh, Trevor is Tim's uh, son, and Tim is the track owner at Irwindale Speedway. So Trevor Huddleston, just 15 points back in 10th place. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot to kind of settle out here because uh, although some of these drivers may be at Sonoma, quite a few of them won't be, and uh, this will be the West driver's chance to kind of get their points lead within the series. So it's going to be an important race for fans to keep their eyes on. Yeah, I would look at someone, like you've mentioned already, Jesse Love, who had such a great season last year, uh, despite being sixth in points. You know, it probably doesn't mean very much. You would expect him to contend for the win at Sonoma and possibly even gain, you know, several positions and possibly come out of there with the points lead. So looking at some of these West-only drivers, I think that um, there will be a uh, really good opportunity for them to, to gain some, some significant positions in the points. Uh, I'm obviously not sure um, if any of these drivers at the top of the standings will run, you know, Sonoma or not, but nonetheless, you would expect that these regulars will eventually get their way to the top, which would only make sense for the fact that they run full time. But um, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch and it's going to be fun to see that season get more and more established for the Arkham Menard series West. Um, as we get deeper into the season, we'll start to see who who's performing and, and who has a legitimate chance at the championship as we progress forward. Yes, indeed. I'd really encourage everybody to head over to ARCAracing.com as well because they always have some great articles out there. You'll see that uh, another road course is coming up also for the Arca Menard Series on June 4th at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Uh, they'll be racing that Dawn 150 uh, set for Friday that week. So uh, a lot of information about the course and and uh, what's going on in the Arkham and Art Series there at Mid-Ohio. So uh, a group of uh, road courses uh, definitely coming up. But uh, there's also uh, different features on drivers and crew chiefs and and all kinds of things uh, uh, for people to look for, different drivers that are joining different teams. Um, They really do a good job, and they have a a bunch of videos there, too, uh, with driver highlights and race highlights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's 
certainly worth investing in, and, and certainly, um, you know, the uh, Arca, Arca series, all three series are always worth watching because that's how we get a, a future look at its up-and-coming up talent, and it's always fun to see, uh, you know, who's going to make their way up through Sharon. So, um, yeah, it's worth worth those subscriptions. It's worth uh, paying attention to these series for sure. Uh, one other thing I want to point out before we move on here, uh, Andy, is that for those people who don't have track pass on NBC Gold, you can actually still keep up with what's going on during an Arkham Menard Series race, whether it's the main series, the East or the West. They have a race center, and during the races, you can go to that race center, and there's always somebody at the track giving minute-by-minute, I shouldn't say minute-by-minute, but they're giving regular updates of what's going on at the track so that you don't miss out on anything that's happening. So, uh, you know, you'll know when the cautions are happening. You'll know when the green flag comes out. You'll know a lot of different information about what's going on in in that race just by going to the race center and following along there. And they also have, I think, a lot of timing and scoring that you can keep track of the running order as well. Yeah, that's very helpful too, especially, um, you know, if you perhaps aren't able to watch the, the broadcast live or whatever the case may be, anytime that you have access to information, whether it be race updates or uh, timing and scoring. As a fan, I've always found that information to be very helpful. So uh, certainly a great resource for, for keeping up with the races, and uh, it's always good to, to have that information at our disposal. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, Jay, I know we're, sorry, Andy, <laughs> the other Jay. Um, we are a little bit early, but that's okay. I think uh, we'll have plenty to talk about. It's too bad Jay's not here because he usually gives us an update of what's going on with the series. Uh, let me see real quick if I can do that, even though he's not here. I think we can still see where the points are. Yes, we can. I'll, take... I'll see if I can pull it up as well. Okay. And we'll we'll try to make sure that we give you an update there um, because we are going to be well ahead. Cup and Xfinity yeah, so race this weekend. Looking at the, if, looking at the, the points overall uh, for the fantasy, if that's what you wanted to do next. Um, Let's I'm do the sure Xfinity this, and the Cup real quick before we do the overall. Oh, the Xfinity points? Okay. Um, let's see. Unfortunately, I don't have the totals on that. I can it looks like they just show, looking at this grid here, it shows each individual race, but I can only see overall well, points I've got in the, the overall totals column. Here. I can get oh, the okay. totals because if you scroll all the way over to AI, you'll be able to see it. Uh, and actually, Mike has the series points lead in this series. He's at 42 points. Andy, you're at 40 points. Uh, you're just two points behind him. And then next it's James at 36 and Jay at 35. So that's pretty tight there for the top four. Yeah, I'm seeing that now, Sharon. That is pretty tight. Um, And, you know, the highest points margin is 42 going back to 25, really. So, um, 
Yeah, Phil, very much, very much anyone's um, race here as far as uh, trying to win the Xfinity Series. That's a very, very tight points margin for sure. Yeah, I gained a few points this week, but not enough to be up there with you guys. So I, I have to keep working on my Xfinity Series picks. Uh, in the Cup Series, you want to do those points? Yeah, sure. Let me uh, find the right tab. And, yeah, as far as Cup is concerned, um, sorry, I'm just trying to get my uh, phone to work here. So, actually, this is where the the points really get kind of spread out a bit compared to Xfinity. Um, The two leaders right now, um, 68 points for the leader. That's Jay, followed closely by Mike. He's got 63 points. So a pretty close battle there, but um, then well, we 64, have to go back. Well, 64, I have 64. I'm actually in second oh, with 64. I stand corrected. My apologies. You are, in fact, second with 64, so only four points back of Jay, and then Mike Orzel is one point back of you in, uh, in, in third. And then it looks like the next closest would be 59 points, it looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm reading that right. And that would go yep. to... I'm trying to do this on my phone, and I'm having to scroll back and forth. That's why there's all delays here. So that's a Sam back there in fourth. So um, a pretty tight battle there for the lead. But then, obviously, as we move down the list a little bit, we get all the way back to me in twenty with 25 points, I believe is what it was. Yeah, 25 points. So I'm I'm kind of bringing up the rear, but I'm sticking with my guy because I know it's going to oh, get better, and I know – I know he's going to start getting me points here as the season goes on, so I'm, I'm curious to see where it shakes out. But um, you know, certainly me and uh, me and Tommy are you know doing the best we can. Um, but um, obviously, at only 13 races into the season, still a long way to go yet, and things I think will change as time progresses. So, uh, but a pretty tight battle there, Sharon. You're you're pretty much uh, definitely in the running for the lead of that series. So you guys are doing a good job. Well, okay, and then moving over to the trucks, I know we didn't race this weekend, but just as a reminder there, uh, Andy, I think you're, no, you're not leading. I'm leading uh, the truck series at 37, but you're the second place person there at 32, and then it's uh, a tie for third between Mike and Tommy at 20, actually a three-way tie. Uh, Mike, Sam, and Tommy all have 28 points. So that's that's pretty fair as well. Uh, Jay's at 29. So uh, we've got uh, a pretty tight battle going there in the uh, truck series. And I apologize. Uh, I think you know I've got a puppy and this puppy is really testing me tonight. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> He's not wanting to settle down here like he normally. She, she's not wanting to settle down here like she normally does. So I apologize for that. Yeah, pretty tight battle there. I actually, you know, hadn't looked at the points recently, and and for everyone actually to, to have three people tied for for twenty eight points, only um, nine points back of you as the leader. Uh, and only a few points off of me, um, you know, that's a very tight battle amongst all, you know, all of us. And even, even the lowest point value back in, in 14 points um, just tells you that, you know, it, 
like with the other series that anyone could still come out with the lead here and, and be in contention for this thing. So uh, especially like Jay would tell you, once we get into the playoffs with uh, double point values later in the season, uh, anyone's definitely anyone's game. And certainly, um, you know, with the truck series and Xfinity series, I certainly try hard to pick the, the best pick that I can each week. And, with the Cup Series, I just got to go with my guy no matter what. And I'm, you know, trying to see how that shakes out as the season goes on. But, um, you know, definitely uh, trying my best each week with Truck and Xfinity and uh, see if I can't replicate some of last season's magic. Okay. When we look at the overall points, I'm no longer in the lead. <laughs> but it is still tight there, Andy. Yes, absolutely. Um, looking at the overall standings here real quick. Um, we've got, uh, looks like Mike is the leader. Jay's only one point back of him. And so Mike leads with 133. Jay's at 132. Sharon, you're only one point back of Jay at 131. So that is incredibly tight for the top three. And then we go, uh, looks like Sam would be um, fourth with 118. And then we would go to Owen with 110. And then uh, I've got 97, so I'm about, I um, guess I'd be fifth. And then James is right behind me with 96, and Tommy at 90. And it's important to note with Tommy as well, he started later than we did. So he's actually um, putting together a very nice effort to get caught up and probably will pass me <laughs> within a week or two. So he's doing a real good job um, getting caught up despite not having entered all the races, if you will. So, um, pretty tight battle there amongst all of us, and um, you know, especially especially the overall lead. Though, I mean, looking at you, uh, Mike and Jay, that's that's pretty impressive to be this many races into the season and haven't, you know, have only a one point margin between the three of you. I know it's kind of scary. <laughs> I had Martin Truex this last weekend, which normally he does fairly well at Dover, but. Uh, Man, he just had a rough day uh, this particular weekend, so that kind of put me behind the eight ball, if you will. So we'll see what happens yeah, this coming week at Coda. Yeah, that's unfortunate, Sharon. In fact, um, so I was walking into the track with a Truex fan, and I just happened to mention that that was my thought, was that he was going to be the guy to beat yesterday. That was what I expected, so... Obviously, we'll we'll get talking about the cup race in a bit, but certainly some um, interesting storylines that came out of that race. And I think, you know, some drivers did better than others and others that we thought would do well didn't. So obviously, we'll get to that. But certainly was surprising to me, for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, the Camping World Truck Series uh, is not uh, did not race this past weekend. Uh, they... Uh, their last race was at Darlington Raceway. Their next race uh, isn't going to be – are they racing at Coda this weekend? I'm trying to they are check indeed. that out. All three, all three national series will be in action at the yeah. Circuit of the Americas this weekend. So, uh, yeah, they will definitely be uh, road course racing this weekend. Right. The Toyota Tundra 225 at the Circuit of the Americas – uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, May the 22nd, with a green flag at around 1.10 p.m. on FS1. Of course, Jay and I will do a more thorough uh, preview of that race on Thursday night. 
Uh, but just a, just a quick update to everybody to, to be on the lookout. That happens to be my grandson's birthday, so I'm going to be uh, up to my elbows with birthday stuff that day and enjoying some family time. But, man, I'm going to be trying to keep my eye on what's going on out there at Circuit of the Americas. <clears throat> and I'm hoping I might be able to get to at least one of those races this weekend uh, since I am going to be in Texas. So uh, keeping my fingers crossed that something will work out there. But the last race was at Darlington uh, Raceway, and uh, that race was an exciting race. Sheldon Creed uh, held off Ben Rhodes in order to win, and uh, it kind of shook up the driver points after that race, uh, Andy. Yeah, so taking a look at the standing, certainly no surprise here. John Hunter Nevichek is the points leader. He's had such a strong start to the season. Uh, ben Rhodes in second. Um, he's had a solid year. Sheldon Creed third. Certainly that win at uh, Darlington helped his position in the standings. Austin Hill in fourth. Matt Craft in fifth. So, um, you know, some veterans and names you'd expect there in the top five. Yes, indeed. And, and of course, the only three drivers with wins in the truck series are John Hunter Nemechek, Ben Rhodes, and Sheldon Creed. So unlike the other series, we're not seeing a lot of different winners. Uh, and so this one probably is going to be determined by points uh, when the top ten start the playoffs. Yeah, I would think so. Um I would definitely agree with that. You know, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how it plays out, but, um, you know, points will for sure be a factor, no doubt. So right now that next five is uh, Todd Gilliland, Stuart Friesen, Grant Infinger, who is right now a part-time driver uh, between Thor Sport and uh, I forget the other team he's driving for, but he's driving for another team. And then it's Zane Smith and Johnny Sauter rounding out that top ten. Uh, the drivers right now on the outside looking in include three um, three rookies, including Carson Hosevar in the 11th, Austin Wayne South, Chandler Smith, another rookie in 13th, Raphael Assard, who just dropped out in 14th, but Haley Deegan is right there uh, in 15th, also one of the rookies. Yeah, and, and still plenty of time, too, for those drivers to, to, you know, get their seasons turned around, maybe not quite the start they'd been hoping for, but certainly you'd have to think that, um, you know, if they can turn things around, they still have a chance to get their way in on points and, and maybe even win a race, too. And if you do that, it fixes everything. So, um, you know, kind of interesting to see what happens there. You know, certainly um, you look at Grand Enfinger and eighth, that sticks out to me because, you know, I don't believe he's run all the races. In fact, yeah, he's made seven starts to everyone else's eight. So I find, you know, his points position to be pretty impressive. Um, you know, and he's generally driving for Thor Sport, but has also been driving, I believe it is CR7 Motorsports, the nine truck that's normally driven by Cody Rohrbaugh. So, um, you know, I think that's the truck he's driving this weekend as well. So it's nice that he's been able to get into at least, a tr- you know, something – 
even when he's not in the 98 truck. And uh, hopefully he can find a way to run the full season because it would be a shame for him to not be in the playoffs, um, you know, despite the fact that he is having a fairly solid season. Absolutely. And and points are going to be, I think as the season goes on too, Andy, I think the other thing that's going to be super important here in the truck series are these stage wins because these stage wins are, um, and, 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 and they help them get uh, points that will help them in their positioning, uh, especially for those drivers near the cutoff line. Every stage point is going to make, be a huge difference. <clears throat> Without a doubt, you know, stage points and those playoff points, if you can win those stages and earn those playoff points, it, it really does put you in a strong, strong spot going into the postseason, as we've seen you know, in years past, the the more of those you can accumulate, you know, it really just helps you go deep into the playoffs. So, yeah, there's no doubt that um, winning stages, accumulating stage points, um, and obviously trying to win, there's no doubt that winning is the best one thing one can do. But um, certainly every every one of these drivers is going to try to get those uh, playoff points and stage points as, as much as they can. Uh, Andy, I'm just going to ask uh, this question. Of those drivers that are below the cut line right now, who do you think has the best chance to to grab a win to get in? Oh, that's a really, really good question because um, I was kind of looking at this myself thinking, you know, who really has a good chance here? And, um, you know, there's there's some good names. There's some strong teams that are below the cut line um, but if I'm going to try to be somewhat realistic about this, um, uh, you know, two, name, two names really stick out to me, and, and they're both rookies. Um, Carson Hosevar, driving the, he drives the 42 truck for, for Nice Motorsports. That's somebody that, in my opinion, seems to just be getting better and better, and we're starting to see him run more towards the front. And, you know, he's exceptionally good on short tracks, and I think that um, – you know, you could see him possibly contend for some wins this summer. Uh, and then Chandler Smith. I mean, it's hard to ignore a KBM truck, especially as strong as that team has been this year. Uh, no, It's been no secret that, you know, KBM was maybe a little bit off the last couple of seasons. But with the addition of, of John Hunter Nemechek, I think has really helped elevate that program along with the team owner, Kyle Busch. And when you look at how strong those trucks are running, and even Chandler himself has been strong, but maybe hasn't necessarily had the finishes or, or the luck to go with it. But I think that if they can get some clean races put together, um, the speed in the truck is there to where they can probably contend for a win or two throughout the stretch. So um, I really do think it, it's, you know, Hosevar and, and, and Smith, even as rookies, uh, have a really good chance to contend for wins and, and maybe even put together seasons strong enough to, um, you know, point their way in. So I would have to go with those two. But certainly anyone, you know, especially with the the schedule being what it is with, with some road courses and some diversity, um, you really don't know. I mean, Haley Deegan, despite what I would deem to be a bit of a slow start to her rookie season, is, is going to get better, I would think, as time goes on too. So you just don't know for sure. But curious to know who you would, would pick out of that list, Sharon. I think you hit the nail on the head <laughs> with exactly what I would have said. Uh, those two drivers are both really good drivers. And uh, I think that, you know, the first part of the season was about 
learning the tracks and, and kind of learning their craft on the track. Uh, these guys have raced uh, Carson maybe a little bit less than Chandler, but they haven't had uh, that many races. They haven't raced a full season yet in the truck series. So, um, you know, as the season continues to go on, these guys are going to get better and better. And you're right. We've seen Carson up there uh, racing in the top ten. We've seen Chandler Smith on occasion. So I look for those guys to get better and better as the season goes on and for all of the reasons that you said. Uh, the only other one that I might add to that, uh, you, you know, you've got drivers like uh, Tyler Ankrum and Derek Krause that have had uh, kind of off seasons this year. Uh, they typically are, are do better. Uh, Tyler Ankrum was in the playoffs last year. So if they can kind of get things turned around with their teams, uh, you know, it's possible that one of those guys might come up with a victory. Uh, Timothy Peters, the veteran of this sport, so you never know, uh, you know, d- depending on what's going on with his team. Uh, again, maybe the second half of the season will be better for some of those guys. Uh, just to mention a few of the other people. Um, but uh, I think the one thing that I've really enjoyed um that I've really enjoyed about this season is that we've had some surprises, not so much in the truck series, but in some of these other series, we've had some surprise winners, uh, people that you wouldn't have normally picked to be winning at this. Uh, and so it would be fun to see that happening here in the truck series as well. Maybe that's wishful thinking on my part, but you never know. <laughs> well, you know, and it's also, I think fair to say too that um, you know we see com- they, they say comers and goers all the time, and I I definitely believe in that. I think that just because a team starts out slow doesn't mean they can't get better, you know, and, and work themselves into um, you know contending for wins as the season goes on. Just as we see teams that sometimes start out strong maybe lose the edge that they have as the season goes on. So. Um, I think you will see some different players, certainly, you know, at the first glance. Uh, the KBM trucks have been really good, and, of course, Thor Sport trucks, you know, have contended to win some races this year, and, and GMS is always in the hunt, as you'd expect. But, um, you know, I definitely think that some of these teams that maybe are below the cut line that haven't had the greatest start to the year, I, I think, that, you know, at this point it's way too early to, to write any of them out by any means, and I do think that, um, you know, especially like I mentioned with Chandler Smith, given how strong his organization is, I I think he'll be good. And you know, Hosevar really is is uh, showing his talent on a weekly basis, and that team seems to be getting better. And I want to make a note about him too. Um, Phil Gould is now his crew chief. They made some changes at Nice Motorsports, and Phil uh, was Ross Chastain's crew chief when they made the Final Four a couple of years ago. So a veteran crew chief with a lot of experience and wins um, in the series, uh-huh. and, you know, certainly someone that uh, I think a rookie like Carson can benefit from. So I think that in itself can help provide that 42 and uptick in performance as the uh, season rolls on. That's a really good point, uh, uh, Andy. And then, you know, I think about Circuit of the Americas that's coming up this weekend. There's a lot of different people that are entering these races <laughs> this weekend. 
So you never know when one of somebody who's who is uh, not normally in the series can come in and win those. Like we've seen Martin Truex Jr. and uh, Kyle Busch win a few of these races too. So that makes the points that much more important uh, for these truck series drivers too. So uh, you know, definitely keep your eye on what goes on in this uh, Camping World Truck Series uh, as the season progresses. That's a good point about you know the different entries this weekend. Uh, we're going to have to. For our fantasy points purposes, we're going to have to pay attention to the entry <laughs> list, especially for the truck in the Xfinity race, because there's some, um, you know, some different names on there, you know. So we'll we'll have to definitely figure that out um, as far as who we're going to pick. But um, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about the weekend for sure. Yes, indeed. Okay, uh, again, we're a couple minutes or a minute or so ahead here, but we're going to go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series race at Dover. Uh, it's, uh, it was at Dover this past weekend, but before we do that, uh, just know that uh, coming up this weekend, they are going to be racing the Pit Box 250 at the Circuit of the Americas on Saturday, May the 22nd at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, coverage is on Fox Sports 1. So, again, we'll do a, a really thorough uh, preview on Thursday night. Uh, but, again, if, you, if you're marketing your calendars, uh, this is a good one to mark because uh, I think I saw that Harvick is going to be racing with B.J. McLeod Motorsports, an affiliate of Stuart Haas Racing. So I think that's going to be kind of an interesting uh, uh, driver to be in, in that car. And it's going to be fun to see what he's able to do in the Xfinity Series in that race. Yeah, and um, this is one I know you'll be excited about too. Um, is Custer is is racing as well? So uh, yes, yeah, I saw that. Games. And um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the partnerships are, but from what I have been able to gather, the Harvick car and the Custer car, those are FHR cars. Um, probably with SHR personnel too. I don't know for sure, but I believe those are at least SHR prepared cars, and, and they're going, um, you know, under under the namesake of BJ McLeod Motorsports and uh, Rick Ware Racing. Um, I don't know the ins and outs and the details of it, but I would have to think that um, those are those are SHR prepared cars at least that they'll both be driving. So. Um, and we know how good the SHR Xfinity cars on road co- are on road courses. We know what um, Chase Briscoe did last year a lot. So, um, you know, I know you you got to be pretty happy about Custer coming back to Xfinity. You wouldn't by, be picking him by chance, would you, this weekend? <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'll have to take a look at the entry list and make my decision. But he's going to be up there on the list. I will put it that way. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you either. That would be a good pick. Yeah, I think so, too. He's pretty good on those road courses. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. They're going to be racing, or they raced this past weekend at Dover, and Austin Sendrick, wow, what a statement he made uh, with his third win of the season uh, after steadily making his way forward for most of the race, reigning Xfinity Series champion Austin Sendrick wrangled the lead from Justin Algauer with 51 laps remaining, and then 
He checked out on the field to claim his third trophy of the season in Saturday's Drydeen 200 at Dover. Uh, driving the number 22 for Team Penske, uh, again, he took the lead with 51 laps in the race uh, and he cruised to his third victory of the season. Josh Berry finished second. He led 48 laps, uh, earning the Dash for Cash $100,000 bonus. Uh, Justin Algauer in the number seven was next, followed by A.J. Allmendinger and Ty Gibbs to round out the top five there. The next five were Harrison Burton, Michael Lynette, Ryan Sieg, Daniel Hemrick, and Brandon Brown making up the rest of the top ten. Now, Algauer won the first stage, his first stage victory this season, but he tied Christopher Bell for the most stage wins in Xfinity Series history at 29. Barry won the second stage, his first career stage victory. Uh, there are also nine lead changes among six drivers, seven cautions for 45 yellow flag laps, the average speed at 94.987 miles hour. Uh, some additional race facts here. It was the 40th annual Driving 200. It was Cindric's 11th victory in 110 Xfinity Series races, his third victory and eighth top ten finish this year. It was his first victory and seventh top ten finish in eight races at Dover. Tells you how good he is at that track. Uh, Josh Berry, the rookie, posted his first top ten finish in his series debut at Dover and his fifth top ten finish this year. Justin Algauer posting his 14th top ten finish in 21 races at Dover. Josh Berry was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, and it was Team Penske's fifth win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Dover. Junior motorsports driver Josh Berry Again, won that Dash for Cash bonus, uh, collecting that $100,000 bonus. So um, a lot of uh, interesting stats there with the top 10 at Dover. Yeah, you know, just kind of looking at, through this, this rundown and, and having watched the race on Saturday, you know, I really thought it was Justin Allgaier's race to, to win. Um, you know, he led the most laps and, and had a really fast car. And, and the racing between he and Josh Berry was, was spectacular, a lot of back and forth between them. But, um, you know, from from the start of the season, I think we probably all agree that, that you know, Austin Sindrick, given the success that he had last year, uh, returning with that same team this year, is always going to be one of the ones to beat on a weekly basis. And I, I think that... Um, when you look at the season he had last year and winning several races and the championship, um, you know, that he was only going to go out and, and do maybe even more this year. And, and for him to win his third race of the season already, um, 10th race of the season puts him on a pretty solid pace to, to maybe do like what Briscoe did last year and win nine or 10 of these races. So, um, certainly established in my mind as, as the, as the favorite, I know there's multiple favorites, but if you have to single out anyone and say that they're the favorite, it would have to be him. So, um, a really methodical performance too. um, ran top five most of the day, very quietly, just kind of hung out there and, and they put themselves in position to win and made the right adjustments and led, led the part of the race that mattered most. So obviously a fantastic job for that team. And there's a reason that we all, fight to pick him every week 
<laughs> is for this reason right here. So I don't know who had them this week, but obviously, um, you know, you know, Whoever big win for that first. team. And that's right. I think it was Jay actually. So a big win for Jay. Not that he needs it, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, big a big win for them. But you know, I think. What, what's even more impressive to me would be, you know, again, Josh Berry, um, having just seen the track for the first time the previous day in that Arkham Menard Series East race in which he finished second, um, he was in contention to win. In fact, if we didn't get that late race caution, that race may have been won by Josh Berry. He had maneuvered his way to the lead and had a really good long-run car, and, um, you know, it looked like he might win that race. And then we got that that caution late in the race that did change things a little bit. But, um, you know, really, really strong yeah, you performance may... for Barry. Yeah, I was going to say, ahead. you may laugh at me, but I kind of went out on a limb. I picked Josh Barry, uh, knowing that it was his debut track, but he's had such a solid season uh, that I felt he was a safe bet. And uh, he did pay off for me this weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I can't really say enough strong things about Josh, and it's you know it's, it's easy to pull for him because he's you know a driver that has really come up the the old fashioned way, if you will, working his way up the ranks, and you know has earned his opportunities based upon his talent. And um, I you know I I hope that there's some way, some way, shape, or form that he can maybe stay in that eight car. I know that. Um, I believe someone else is going to drive the car at uh, Coda this weekend, but um, hopefully they can work out some way for him to run most of the season. Uh, I think that he's earned his ability to do just that. Um, you know, I I know Mike and I have pretty strong opinions on it and certainly a huge proponent of, of what he's been able to do this year. So hopefully he can stay in that car or get an opportunity to, to run most of the season. Um, you know, Justin Allgaier in, in third, obviously strong performance from him, led the most laps. And, you know, to me, they seem even a bit stronger this season than from last year. So, um, uh-huh. obviously a veteran a veteran of the sport that um, is always, you know, in the running for wins, it seems like, on a weekly basis. So, um, some pretty predict- predictable names up front, if you will. Ty Gibbs, uh, once again, very, very impressive. Another top five performance, I think, in – I'm doing this off the, off the top of my head, but I want to say that that was his fourth Xfinity race of the season, maybe his fourth or fifth race, and I believe all but one race he's finished inside the top five. I know there was a 17th place finish, I think, at Darlington last weekend. Um, but for a rookie to be able to come in here and, and run top five in, in most of these races that he's run so far is is very impressive. Um, so obviously yeah, yeah. A lot He's of won five there. of the ten races. So having done that, he's finished in the top five in four of those races, including that big win on the Daytona road course, which is just incredible. So a lot of talent there in the top five, and and obviously A.J. Allmendinger in fourth is another driver you'd expect to be up front. So certainly um, some heavy hitters up front there, Sharon. There are indeed uh, some heavy hitters, and uh, uh, it's going to show up on these point standings as well. Uh, and we'll kind of go over those next here. Ten races in the books for the uh, Xfinity Series. And as you mentioned, Austin Sendrick is at the top with those uh, three wins, but he also has five stage wins, the most in the series. Uh, And that gives him 20 
playoff points. So he's put himself in a pretty comfortable place in that number one spot. Yeah, and that's exactly what you have to do. Um, we saw this last year with him and Briscoe. They, you know, racked up stage wins and race wins and playoff points. And, you know, for him to have that many playoff points, nearly twice as many over his next closest competitor, which is Justin Allgaier with 11 playoff points, which is still good. But certainly, you know, he has won the most stages of anyone with five. He has the most playoff points of anyone with 20. And he has the most wins of any full-time regular driver with three. Um, therefore, he has a 62-point lead over his next closest competitor, which is Daniel Hemrick in second, who has had a good season. But the difference between winning those races and stages versus not winning those stages and races is, um, you know, 17 playoff points. So, um, obviously, to be able to do what Cindric is doing is, uh, you know, that that's precisely the way for them to accumulate points and put themselves in a position to make a deep playoff run just as they did last season. Um, again, D- Daniel Hembrick there uh, in second at 62 points back, um, you know, certainly not out of this by any means and, and someone I would expect that can win races this year. And then um, 12 points back of him, Harrison Burton uh, in his second season in third uh, A.J. Allmendinger in uh, fourth, and A.J. does have a win this year at Vegas. Um, he's in fourth. Jeb Burton, obviously, also a winner at Talladega. He's in fifth. The Calding cars right there, fourth and fifth. So, um, you know, certainly if you're Austin Cindric, you're feeling pretty good about your lead, but I would also expect any one of these drivers that I just mentioned below him to also win some more races and, and accumulate their own points leads, too, as time goes on. Yes, indeed, and, uh, uh, you know, it's 12 drivers that move into the playoffs here in the Xfinity Series, and uh, I'm going to go down the rest of this list because there's some interesting names that are on this list. Some you thought might be a little bit higher at this stage of the game, and some I don't think we expected to see on this list. So uh, Justin Algauer is in sixth place. He does have the two race wins. That, of course, puts him up into second place when the playoffs begin. Uh, And then you've got uh, a couple of drivers that don't have a win yet. Uh, That's Noah Gregson and Justin Haley, uh, followed by Maya Snyder, who is one of the race winners this year. Uh, And that's going to move him up the series point standings as, as the playoffs begin. He's in ninth place. Then there's Jeremy Clements, Michael Lynette, and Brandon Brown. They don't have any race wins yet, but they are on top of the cutoff line at this point after 10 races. Uh, those drivers that are below that cut line are, are Brandon Brown, uh, Josh Berry, who has only raced nine of the 10 races, uh, Riley Erbst in 15th, and Ryan Seed in 16th place. Ty Gibbs it. Gibbs that we mentioned, he's only raced five of the ten races. Guess what? He's in 17th place, <laughs> and he is above several drivers that have raced all ten races. Uh, again, that's super impressive. It is. You know, it just shows you what it's going to be like watching him race in the future. So, um, you know, definitely uh, some predictable names there in the top 12 that would make the playoffs, but certainly some names outside of that top 12 that you would expect may have a chance to, to get themselves in. So I think the bubble, you know, 
the bubble area between the cutoff and, you know, those who are in and out is going to be fun to watch this season. And it usually gets pretty tight every year. And I would expect this year is going to be no different. So, um, you know, I definitely, uh, definitely think you, you, you may see some drivers uh, work their way in and some that may work their way out. So it'll be fun to see how that progresses uh, throughout the summer. Well, what's interesting here in the Xfinity series is you've got two part-time uh, Xfinity Series drivers that have race wins under their belts. Uh, that one, one of them is Ty Gibbs, who run at the road course, and then the other is Josh Berry. He's run nine of the ten races, and uh, I think he needs to get a waiver from NASCAR if he wants to go after that championship. And I think what they're waiting to see if is, is if he can uh, continue to get the sponsorship in order to do that to, before they ask for that waiver. Uh, but what do you think? you think he's, NASCAR's going to give it to him if he asks for it? I, I would hope so. Um, I, I think that if he can find a way to run the majority of the season, um, you know, certainly sitting there 14th in points, despite uh, I don't see how many races. He's run one less race than everyone else, mm-hmm. and I believe uh, someone else, I think Miguel Paluto may have driven the car at the Daytona road course. Um, you know, I hope that they can put something together because I believe his time in that car is almost over. Um, Sam Mayer is supposed yeah. to drive, I think, the second half of the season. That was a deal that was already put in place last season because I believe he brought some funding to that team. So certainly a business decision that you can understand JR Motorsports making, but certainly it's going to be difficult, you know, to make that change when you when you look at the success that Barry has had through the first half of the season. So hopefully they can maybe find a way to run him in a different car or a different team. I'm not sure what the case would be, but um, I would hope that they could provide a waiver to him because, you know, 14th in points with a win, uh, in my mind, is is certainly playoff eligible. So, you know, hopefully they'll figure out a way. Kind of like we did with the truck series, Sharon, you know, if I'm going to look at drivers that I, I think have a good chance to get in, obviously I think Gibbs isn't expected to run more than a limited schedule, so you can't really look at him as a as a playoff car. But um, you know, you got to think that man, it, it's really tough. You know, you look at Riley Herbs in a car that um, you know was so it successful was last year. I'm sorry. It was the championship car last year. Well, they I think they were they were in the top four. Cindric won the championship, but yeah, they were that was a car that did make the championship oh, four. Right. So um you know, I it's it's kinda hard for me to say that they'll be able to get in the playoffs, but I think when you look at that team and what they've been able to do in the past, I, I don't I they've had a lot of bad luck, let's be honest. I mean they they've mm-hmm. had a lot of things happen, a lot of circumstances happen to them and, and probably you know, should have some finishes that are that should be better than what they've gotten, you know. So um, that's a team that I, I don't think is going to be held down for the entire summer. If they can get on a roll and, and get the finishes that they're all capable of doing, um, because that's the exact same team, 98 team from last year, and I know what that team's capable mm-hmm. of, I think that they can they can possibly get themselves in either by points or by a win. Um so, and then Ryan Sieg, you know, I, I think that 
that's a team, especially it should be noted that Shane Wilson rejoined the team as crew chief, I think a race or two ago, and they just came off an eighth place finish at Dover, which is pretty good. So, um, you know, Ryan Sieg, I think maybe if they can um, get the results, maybe headed back to what they ran last year, um, you know, they might have a chance to point their way in. Uh, you know, I, I do think that you may see a couple different, you know, switches there between drivers that are currently in that may be out and, you know, possibly drivers like Herbs and Sieg and, you know, maybe Brandon Brown, somebody like that can get on a roll and maybe get themselves in. So um, certainly, you know, an area of the point standings that we'll need to keep an eye on. It definitely will be. And, and uh, uh, you've got some winless drivers uh, that haven't won yet that hopefully they'll get some wins uh, before this is all said and done as well. Uh, Daniel Hemrick, Harrison Burton, uh, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley. Kind of surprised that those guys don't have a win yet, but we're only 10 races in. Uh, there's still a lot of racing to do, and it's not going to surprise me. I would love to see Daniel Hemrick finally get a win. He's been so consistent in this series. It almost seems a shame. Uh, if he doesn't get a win this season. Uh, but he's definitely demonstrating that he is a talented race car driver. Yeah, you know, it should be noted, you know, if I'm going to go look at this this list, you know, full-time drivers and say, who do I think is going to win this season that hasn't? you got to think Daniel Hembrick. you got to think Justin Haley. The colleague racing cars have been really fast this mm-hmm. year. Almondinger and Burton have already won. And, and, you know, we've got several road courses. Haley's real good on the road courses. That win could come as early as this weekend. So um, those are two names that I would expect to win, not just once, but possibly multiple times. Um, Gregson, I Brandon Jones um, to that list. Brandon Jones, I think, you know, Gregson, you know, certainly that's a team that won races last year. I think they'll probably find their way into victory lane at some point. Brandon Jones, like you said, so – um, you know, if, if Herbs and that SHR team can get back to the, you know, where they were last year, they'll, they'll, you know, possibly contend for some wins. So there certainly is the potential for, you know, several of these drivers to, to get not just one, but multiple wins. And I think the, in my mind, the Xfinity series has been pretty diverse this year. I expected Cindric would be the guy to go out and win five or six races already. And he's won three, which is impressive. But we've certainly seen other teams and manufacturers step up and be just as competitive. And I think that the parity has been pretty good this year. So, um, And I think we're definitely going to see more of that, especially um, – I don't know if you've spent much time looking at the schedule coming up, but it, the schedule across all three series is, is pretty diverse in the coming like mm-hmm. month or two. Um, and I think that opens the door for um, different winners and, and different drivers maybe – contending. So it's going to be a lot of fun as we go over the next uh, few months over the summer. All right. Okay, it's uh, time for us to move on to the Cup Series. Uh, Their next race, of course, is going to be at the Circuit of the Americas uh, this Sunday, May the 23rd, at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Echo Park Texas Grand Prix. Uh, And it will be televised on FS1. Again, we'll do more in-depth coverage of that on Thursday night, uh, but uh, we want to get into the driving 400 at Dover Speedway this past Sunday and uh, what took place there because, uh, uh, like we said earlier, I think a lot of people thought 
maybe it was going to be Martin Truex Jr., myself included. He was on the pole. But it was a Hendrick Motorsports day uh, from the beginning to the end. Bowman uh, led Hendrick Motorsports' sweep of the top four spots at Dover. Uh, and his timing was right. The motorsports, uh, Hendrick Motorsports driver took the lead off pit road following his last pit stop with 97 to 400 laps remaining. He held up the field uh, of two or more race starts, and then he earned his second victory of the year in the Drydeen 400 on Sunday. The win also punctuated a historic Hendrick Motorsports Day at the famed one-mile track with the team becoming the third organization in NASCAR Cup Series history to finish one, two, three, and four in a single event. Uh, they joined Peter De Paolo Racing, who in 1956, December of 1956 in Titusville, and again in April 7th of 1957 at North Wilkesboro, and Roush Fenway Racing did it on November of 2005 at Homestead, Miami. Bowman held off his teammate Kyle Larson by 2.017 seconds. Chase Elliott was third, William Byron fourth, and finished uh, just behind, making the first time in the organization's 267 victory history that it had all four cars sweep the top of the scoreboard. So that was huge for Hendrick Motors uh, this weekend, and I'm sure they had a big celebration uh, today at that organization. Um, the win for Bowman was his second of the season, his first win at Dover, and his fourth of his career. Larson finished second, followed by, again, Elliott, Byron, Logano, Harvick, Hamlin, Reddick, and Suarez, and Custer rounding out the top ten. Larson dominated the race early on. He won both stages and led 263 laps. Uh, but it was Bowman's crew that gave him the lead under a pit stop with 96 laps remaining, and he never gave it back. And, in fact, that pit stop, I heard, it was the best pit stop this entire season of any of the organizations in the Cup Series. So that was a blistering pit stop there for Bowman. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports becomes the third organization in Cup Series history, again, to finish first, second, third, and fourth in a single event. Martin Truex was on the pole. He ended up finishing 19th uh, in the number 19 car, by the way. <laughs> and there were 10 lead changes among 10 dri five drivers, seven cautions for 41 yellow flag stops. The average speed was 120.05 miles per hour. Alex Bowman won the 52nd annual Driving 400. Uh, again, his fourth victory in 202 Cup Series races, his second victory of the season, and fifth top 10 this year. Uh, his first victory and fourth top 10 finish in 11 races at Dover. Kyle Larson in second posted his 10th top 10 finish in 13 races at Dover, and it is his eighth top 10 finish this year. Chase Elliott in third posted his eighth top 10 finish in 11 races at Dover with his seventh top 10 finish of the year. Anthony Alfredo was the highest finishing rookie in 28th place. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports' uh, 267th NASCAR Cup Series victory this week. 
Hendrick Motorsports again uh, made history uh, with that organization coming in one, two, three, and four. Um, they have the most wins at Dover in the Cup Series with 21 victories among seven drivers. Jimmy Johnson leads that list at 11, so that 48 car kind of continues that tradition. Jeff Gordon has five, Jeff Bodine one, Ken Schrader one, Ricky Rudd one, Chase Elliott one, and Alex Bowman now with one. So, uh, again, some pretty interesting stats there with what happened at Dover this weekend. Yeah, I mean, you you, you just – it you really got to give a tip of the hat to, to Hendrick Motorsports. It is very, very difficult to do what they did as an organization to put their cars one, two, three, four. And I mean, certainly their performance this season has certainly been, I think, better than last year in which all of their teams are capable of winning on a weekly basis, but to run first through fourth, it just doesn't get any better than that. And it it was definitely I think going to be a, a Hendrick Motorsports type, kind of day. Um, the dominant car in my mind was the five of Larson, uh, who led most of the race. In fact, uh, of the 400 laps, he led 263. That's way more than anyone else. And he also won both <laughs> stages. So re- really, really good day for him. Just came up a tick short there in second. But certainly, um, you know, Hendrick Motorsports was the superior team yesterday. And, uh, you know, very impressive for them to, to do what they did. You know, the rest of the top 10, you know, predictable finishes for Logano, Harvick, you know, that team, this is, this is what's interesting about that team. They actually scored their 10th top 10 of the year, uh, which is pretty good. I know everyone has kind of felt like the Stuart Haas team isn't where they need to be. And there's no doubt that's the case, but they haven't, the four team hasn't really had as bad of a season as you might think, um, you know, 10 top 10s is pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Hamlin and Sevens, you know, Hamlin and Sevens, I kind of felt like they'd be a little better than they were, but still a solid finish. And then really good finishes for, for Reddick and Flores. Uh, much needed top 10 for Custer. That team's had a, a very difficult start to the season, so uh, much needed finish for that team as well. So, um, you know, some good finishes. And, and again, just an incredible performance by Hendrick to do what they did. Yeah, Daniel Suarez was actually one of the dark horse picks uh, for this weekend. Uh, Another point of note is that William Byron, who finished in fourth, actually moved up in the series point standings to second place, Andy. So uh, that was was a big day for him with that fourth place finish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, that's been a very consistent team this season and and certainly – you know they're they're proving that they're they're a contender on a weekly basis. Yes, they are, um, and I think people are seeing from William Byron this year what we've been hoping to see from him for a while now. I think he's really gelling with that team, and uh, it's starting to show up on the racetrack uh, without any doubt. Uh, Tyler Reddick having another good run. Uh, he's been amazing this season. I think he's got a whole slew of uh, top 10 finishes as well. And then it was great to see Cole Custer up there in the top 10 as well. And Kevin Harvick, uh, you know, he's known as the closer. He's been kind of close. He's kind of hanging in the wings, if you will, this season. I've got a funny feeling, uh, and I know overall 
Stuart Haas Racing has been struggling a little bit, but don't you kind of get a sense that they're starting to kind of figure it out and the second half of the season they're going to go on a tear, on a terror, I'm afraid. I mean, I've seen signs of life that it's getting better. Um, I would I would think that they there's still work to be done if they plan on getting, you know, to where – Hendrick and, and Penske and uh, Gibbs are at right now, but you know, they are a top tier team and they have been in the position that the other mentioned teams have been in. Uh, it seems like we see this all the time that, you know, these top teams kind of go through cycles in terms of who's on top. Right. And certainly been mm-hmm. a slow start to the season. Um, but there's, you know, we've been running some 750 races lately and the 750 stuff you know, that package has been better for them anyway. So I think that's probably why we've seen some better results. Um, I am curious to see how their intermediate 550 package progresses as the season goes on, because that has certainly been the uh, troublesome spot for the team, if you will. Um, you know, but we've been running, you know, more of the lower downforce, you know, 750 stuff lately. And they, you know, certainly, certainly that's been a strong suit for that team or a stronger suit anyway. Um, but yeah, I would agree that, um, you know, I, I, I think that there's work to be done. There's no doubt about that. Um, but we do see these teams kind of go through these cycles and I, I do think that, you know, it can only get better, right? It can't get worse. I don't think so. I think that as the season goes on to your point, I do think that they, um, will have an opportunity to improve and I don't see, the four car being shut out of victory lane this year. Is it possible? Yes. But is it likely? No. I think that you'll see Harvick and that four team somehow find a way, you know, to, to win. And, and certainly they're in a really good spot points wise, regardless. Um, the other three cars, I really, it's really hard to say um, what's going to happen with those teams. I, unfortunately, all three of them are in must win scenarios if they want to win, get into the playoffs this year. So, um, while not out of the realm of possibility, I, I, it's it's hard for me to say for sure what's going to happen. Um, but I would I would certainly think that SHR will have playoff presence with the four team for sure. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the points here before we run out of time, uh, because there's some really interesting scenarios uh, uh, building up here in the Cup Series points wise. Yeah, so Denny Hamlin is the points leader. He's in uh, sits atop the standings with 101 points over second. So certainly, despite not winning a race this year, he has been very consistent. William Byron's in second, uh, MTJ in third, Joey Logano fourth, Kyle Larson fifth. Uh, and then I can run through the top ten. Uh, Ryan Blaney in sixth, Chase Elliott seventh, Kevin Harvick in eighth, as I mentioned uh, earlier, Brad Keselowski ninth, Kyle Busch in tenth. So certainly uh, a pretty predictable top ten, Sharon. Yes. Uh, why don't you go ahead and cover the next six, because those are the ones for the playoffs. Yeah, so Kyle Busch is in uh, – I'm sorry, he's in tenth. We mentioned that. Austin Dillon's in eleventh, Christopher Bell twelfth. Alex Bowman in 13th scores. He just earned a second win. Um, so that right. point, that points position um, isn't too much of a concern for that team. I think they are very much into the playoffs with two wins. Chris Buescher in 14th, which is uh, an interesting scenario. They're a team that could possibly point their way into this if it comes down to it. 
Same with Tyler Reddick in 15th and Michael McDowell, um, despite being on that bubble, he does have the win, of course, from the Daytona 500. And if we don't get to, if we don't have more than 16 winners, um, they'll be safely into the playoffs by virtue of that win. And then um, looking at that cut line, um, Magic Benedetto is in 17th, but he's only nine points back, Sharon. So still plenty of time okay. for both him and his closest competitors to, to try to possibly get enough points to point their way in because um, despite some of these teams back here having a slow start to the season, I don't think it'll stay that way forever. I think that you could see some of these teams make a strong push throughout the summer to, to get themselves in. Yeah, 13 races in for the Cup Series, that's the midway point of the season. So this next race, we're already starting the second half of the season here series. So uh, this is where I think we're going to see some things that we haven't necessarily seen in the first half uh, and things that could kind of change things up. Uh, It should be noted there's only six drivers that don't have a win yet in that top 16. So 10 winners so far. Uh, The winless drivers are Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon, Chris Buescher, Tyler Reddick, and that's it. <laughs> so you got to think that some of those guys are going to come up with a victory before this is all said and done. Well, they may have to come up with a victory too because, you know, yeah. if we continue to see, if we see drivers in the top 30 but are outside, the you know, that are outside the playoffs currently get a win, they're in. So, um while I think Denny Hamlin would be hard-pressed to find himself out of the playoffs, you know, with the strong uh, footing that he has on the points lead, you know, some of these guys, um, you know, back here a little bit, they they could find themselves in trouble despite being in a good spot points-wise. Um, you know, if we've mm-hmm. ever had a season uh, – if we've ever had a season for diversity and diverse winners, it's been this season, and I – I know uh, Mike and I have talked a little bit about uh, wanting to see more than 16 winners. I think it'd be pretty cool because it would really start to put pressure on some of these teams to try to get another win as the uh, summer progresses. So, um, you know, I don't know if we'll actually see that come to fruition or not. We are starting to see uh, drivers click off more than one win now, um, such as MTJ and and Alex Bowman. But I do think that um, with these road courses and the schedule being as diverse as it is, uh, you may very well see somebody, maybe multiple drivers that are outside the playoff cut line currently get a win and get themselves in. So uh, it's going to be an interesting summer because I I do think we're going to see more and more winners start to to come come into play. It may be a situation, too, where one win might not be enough uh, to make the playoffs this year for the first time ever as well. So we have to wait and see what happens. But 13 more races to go, six drivers in the top 16 without a win. Uh, they've only got 13 more chances to make that happen. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting close to the season, Andy. You know, and I think what makes this fun is is just, you know, the diversity of the schedule, like I already mentioned. Uh, A lot of road courses, which are always unpredictable uh, tracks we haven't been to before, such as uh, Coda this weekend, Nashville, Super Speedway, uh, Road America. So there's 
a lot of unknowns, I think, as the summer progresses. And unknowns can oftentimes lead to new winners and possibly even first-time winners. And um, you just really don't know what's going to happen, and that's what makes it fun. Absolutely. Uh, And although we've got some ringers coming in at CODA this weekend, uh, one of them might end up winning, but we've got, our Cup Series drivers have become pretty good road racers, so they're going to have some stiff competition if they want to be uh, a, a driver from outside the series that comes in and wins. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, Cup Series drivers in general have, have gotten really good at road course racing, Um you know, we we don't technically see the ringers, if you will, come in and have that immediate success like we used to see. Um, you know, I would say that if you're a full-time cup driver, for the most part, you know, you're, you've become pretty good at road course racing. We've certainly, at least your top tier drivers anyway, guys that are, you know, top 10 on a weekly basis, um, they're, they're good on, on every type of track typically. So, um, you know, certainly, if I'm going to pick a winner this weekend, it's going to probably be someone that's already a full-time Cup Series driver. Yeah. And, and some of the drivers have raced there uh, in a practice session or a testing session or whatever. Um, but this is actually the first time that we've raced at Circuit of the Americas in the NASCAR Cup Series. So uh, tune in because it's going to be a showstopper, I think. Okay, it is the top of the hour, Andy, and you know what that means. It's time for Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, we have a couple of our crew members uh, in the wings here ready to go, and that includes uh, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, Excited to be here. We had a great weekend of racing uh, at Dover, the Monster Mile. Didn't uh, disappoint, never does. And as I heard you guys talking about going into CODA, I think that's a game changer uh, for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we also have joining us for tonight's Top Topics, Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. hey Okay. The house is full, Andy. Uh, and, uh, Jay, why don't we let you start off with the Hot Topics this week? Well, we're talking about CODA, so we've seen the entry list of several different drivers. I know we've kind of had this discussion before, but drivers on different um, series. Uh, We've seen NASCAR restrict that in the past, but this weekend they're not. So a couple of drivers entered into different series as they get experienced on the Circuit of Americas. Okay, Michael, your thoughts? Well... Yeah, there's a few here who are either in surprisingly different rides. For example, Kevin Harvick driving for B.J. McLeod in the Xfinity Series. But the biggest surprise was announced today. Paul Menard will be driving a four-sport number 66 truck in the, uh, in the truck series this weekend as well. So, yeah, there's uh, obviously you've got your regular drivers in the regular rides, but there's a few kind of big names in other rides that we haven't seen before. Interesting to see Paul Menard coming back at, at Coda in all places. If anything, I would have guessed Paul would have made a return at more or less his home racetrack in road America and come back and run the cup series race. Just to say he finally got to race a, a cup race there. So to see him at Coda, it's kind of interesting, but kind of cool to see Paul Menard coming back as well. Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that 
you know, to Jay's point about NASCAR not allowing, you know, teams to have run, what was it? I think the Daytona road course last year was the issue in which they didn't let um, teams run other series. I think the difference this weekend is they're going to do practice. So um, these drivers and teams are going to get on track time before each race in each series. So I think that's probably the difference. I think it's cool, especially the Xfinity race. Um, You know, there's going to be several cup drivers in that field. And um, like, we had mentioned on the show earlier, uh, those are essentially SHR cars, I think, for both Harvick and for Cole Custer. So, you know, they're going to be fast and competitive cars. And so, you know, certainly going to be fun to see what they can do. Um, like what Mike just mentioned, Paul Menard, cool to see him back. I think that not only will he be um, competitive, because Paul's really good at road course racing. That's what he was really known for during his time as a full-time driver. So, um, not only, you know, will I think he'd be good, but he's driving, you know, a fifth four sport truck. So, you know, he's going to be fast. And so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, so yeah, I think it's cool. I, I think it's good that, um, you know, there were no restrictions in place as far as running other series other than your full-time series this weekend. And, uh, you know, I think that, um, especially those cup guys running the, uh, Xfinity race. We haven't really seen that many cup guy, cup drivers in an Xfinity field in a while. It's going to be kind of fun to see that. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I think that uh, having these guys uh, in this race, in these other races, is going to be huge. Uh, it's going to be a game changer. I, I forget who used that word, but it is definitely. I think it was Jay. It's definitely going to be a game changer this weekend. Uh, with uh, so many different drivers in all three entry lists. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what it does from a points perspective for a lot of these drivers. Uh, And I'm sure uh, they've got people that are counting up, uh, doing a lot of uh, counting up of points uh, and the different scenarios that could play out this weekend uh, before they get out to uh, uh, Circuit of the Americas. And I wouldn't count out uh, Paul Menard for Road America. I've got a feeling uh, we're going to see him back, if not in a truck, maybe the Xfinity Series or Cup Series uh, at Road America. So uh, I'm all for it. I think it's great. Uh, I know that the the regular series drivers do learn something from having the Cup Series drivers at these tracks, and this is the perfect track to have something like that because they're learning at the same time. So uh, I think I think it's all great. I'm glad to see the practices back, and uh, it's kind of a limited practice, but uh, it's a practice at the track, and I think that's all great as well. It's going to bode well for Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Uh, Jay, I'm curious to know what you're thinking. Well, I'm thinking it's great to be part of a team like this because I kind of had questions and doubts in my head, and I think Andy kind of kind of put it to rest already uh, of why NASCAR made the decision they did and the fact that everybody is getting some practice time then that that they're allowing that. So that's something, uh, a different perspective, and, and why we gather like this, to, to hear different perspectives. And that, that, that kind of put my mind at ease with that. And it's not that I'm against it. I was just kind of a curiosity thing of why uh, that decision wasn't made the same as it was in the past, you know, that consistency uh, that we all look for. Uh, with this weekend, I am so excited. You mentioned some of the drivers that are running the other series. 
Uh, and like you said, it's not even necessarily an advantage because they're learning that track just as the Xfinity or Truck Series drivers are. So I don't even know if there's an advantage to being a cup driver at that point. Um, <laughs> and lastly, uh, Paul Menard. Uh, I think we all kind of felt like we would see him resurface at some point. Did I think it would be in the Truck Series? Not necessarily. Did I think it would be at Coda? Not necessarily, but... I uh, wasn't surprised to see his name come back up, the, the the location, like Mike said, maybe Road America or one of the ones in the Midwest up up home would have been more uh, more up his line. And I really thought it would have been an Xfinity ride, truthfully. I didn't, didn't see him going to the trucks, but uh, super excited to see him back. Okay, Michael, any follow-up? Well, yeah, there's not enough that can be said about Paul Menard and what the Menards family has done for not just uh, the higher levels of NASCAR, but you see him at local uh, local short tracks, especially in the, the northern, midwestern geographical region. They're everywhere. They're great supporters of racing, and it's great to see Paul get back in a race car. Whether he, fin- whether he wins the race or finishes dead last at, at, at Coda, I'm, I'm glad to see Paul Menard back. With regard to the, uh, the practice and qualifying kind of thing, I think it's really more necessary at Coda than it was at the Daytona Road Course. Um, Daytona is, it's not an easy track, I will say that, but it's somewhat more familiar and somewhat less technical than Coda. And it's probably something that a reasonably experienced race car driver, as all the, the drivers in the top three NASCAR series are, you can go onto the, the Daytona Road Course and kind of feel your way through that track a little bit easier than on basically an F1 course, which is what Coda is. Uh, Coda is a lot tighter, a lot more technical, and there's a lot more places where you can ruin your day on, on you know, lap one going to Coda versus mm-hmm. the Daytona Road Course. So I think it's absolutely necessary that they have some practice there, get some laps in before their first lap is under green, driving these cars in anger at each other, uh, get a little bit of practice and get some comfort on the track. And hopefully we see that more uh, at the uh, at the races, at the tracks that we haven't been to before. So when the Cup Series goes to the Indy Road Course is another example where I would like to see some practice and get these guys some laps in order to get comfortable with that course. And it really just makes for a better, safer, more, uh, more enjoyable racing product than just have them all wad up on lap one, turn one. Okay. Andy, your follow-up. Uh, I do not have follow-up for this one. I'm good. Okay. Yeah, I don't have a lot of follow-up either. I'll just kind of echo the same sentiment. I'm super excited uh, to see Paul Menard back uh, racing, and uh, uh, I think it's going to be fun to see what he does in the uh, in the uh, truck series. And I have to agree with Mike. It doesn't matter if he finishes first or last. I'm excited to see him back in the sport. And uh, I hope it's not the last time. I hope we do see him uh, several more times as well. So, Jay, your follow-up. Well, I watched Race Hub, Race Hub today, so I got some analytics to throw at you. Um, <laughs> the Let me make sure. I, got, I know Sonoma is 11 turns. Watkins Glen is... Seven, and I don't remember from the Charlotte Road Course and Daytona Road Courses, but I believe they're in the 14 range or something like that. Circuit yeah, of America has... depends depends how you count them, but Daytona and Charlotte are 14 each. Okay, I thought I, I thought I had that one right. Uh, Circuit of America's has 20, uh, so that yeah. tells you that. And again, the style of turns, like Mike mentioned, the technicality of the turns, it's designed or was 
utilized mostly by Formula One. So it's going to be interesting with the uh, Cup Series, uh, or the not just the Cup Series, NASCAR's top three, trucks, Xfinity, and Cup. Now, the one thing Mike said that not seeing them all wad up on turn one doesn't make the race interesting, it depends on how you look at it. I don't want to see that, but to take the positive from it, the interesting thing would be then is who comes out on top if it's a matter of attrition and who's still running at the end, just kind of like Daytona and Talladega, any driver can win it. So if these guys do wad up, who that driver is, how that affects the playoffs, who it bumps in, bumps mm-hmm. out. So, again, I'm not saying I want to see, you know, the top 20 teams all wreck on lap one or any other lap, but there can be some interesting outcomes from it if you take it from that perspective. Yes, yes. And I'll just add, Andy and I were mentioning this earlier. Andy brought it up. Uh, make sure you check the entry list before you make your pick this week. <laughs> okay. Mike, we'll let you uh, kick off the next subject, next topic. Well, when Martin, when Martin Truex won Darlington last week, he said he was throwing it back to a good old-fashioned <clears throat> whipping. Um, I think that uh, Martin Truex got shown up a little bit this weekend with Hendrick Motorsports taking the entire field to the woodshed, finishing one, two, three, and four. So with that in mind, is anyone in the field who doesn't drive for Mr. Rick Hendrick is anyone in the field at that same level? And if so, who do you think it might be? Okay, Andy? Well, I, I, I think that driver is Martin Truex Jr. I mean, everyone is going to have an off weekend periodically, and, and I'm, I'm surprised that they ran where they did. In fact, um, telling Sharon earlier, um, I, was, I was there yesterday, and I was walking into the race with um, – one of someone I know who's a Truex fan, and um, I was telling him, I said, I think you're in line for a good day. I think, he, you know, he'll have a good chance to win this race, and that was not the case. They finished 19th, which is highly uncharacteristic of that team. So, um, you know, I would even venture to say that Truex is probably consistently a little bit better than even the 48 and the 9 this year, um, you know, but certainly Hendrick had a had a – stellar day yesterday there's no doubt about that it's the kind of day that every team wishes they could have on a weekly basis that we see once in a blue moon I mean there's no doubt they were the the superior team yesterday but certainly it's hard to ignore Martin Truex's three wins this year um, I was just surprised he ran where he did because they've been very good on the 750 track this year um, and generally pretty good at Dover too so that one did surprise me a bit but I guess every now and then even the best of teams missed the mark, and, and yesterday was just that day for Truex. I think you'll find, uh, especially with his road course experience, that they'll be right back in action contending for the win this weekend. So um, I don't think one can really read too much into that performance. It's possible maybe they, they tried something that just plain didn't work. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that um, the Gibbs cars, particularly the 19, are, are certainly capable of, of doing what the Hendrick cars did yesterday. Okay, Jay? Did we lose Jay? Or are you having yeah, mute no, on, Jay? No, I, no, I was get, trying to get that mute undone. Um, this, this is what makes this sport so humbling. I mean, you just talk about week to week what we saw in Truex. I look at it overall. 
Chase Elliott, last year champion, had five wins, doesn't have a win yet. Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, last year's winner, uh, top winners at eight and nine races, haven't had a win yet. So, I mean, that tells you uh, how humbling this can be, and I think all of those drivers have said it. Kyle Busch is another one. We've seen that. Uh, reference the question, though, of, of with Hendrick Motorsports, and honestly, I don't even look at it as Hendrick Motorsports as a whole. And I think Mike's going to follow me here, so I'm sure I'll get some uh, counterpoints. But it's been Kyle Larson. He only has one win, but he has dominated several races, just didn't get the win, is coming up in second place. William Byron has been consistent, got a win. I like what I've seen from him so far this year. Chase Elliott, consistent, doesn't have the win. Alex Bowman has been a roller coaster. He's got the two wins now. But you mentioned, I heard Andy talking about it when when I came on as you were wrapping up, 13th in points. I mean, that tells you how inconsistent he's been. So I think they still have things they need to work on. And all i got to say, though, is look out once Kyle Larson starts actually getting those wins. Now, Truex is one from Joe Gibbs Racing, but I think you got to look at Denny Hamlin. Again, without the wins, but look at the number of top fives he has this year, which I don't have handy to give you off the top of my head. But he is is a points leader above all these drivers with wins because he has been that consistent, just hasn't gotten that win for whatever reason. So right now, if I were talking about top four into the championship, I'm looking at Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, maybe Truex, and then leaving the four spot open. But going back to last year, Harvick had a phenomenal year, didn't make it uh, either, so you never know. Okay. it was the 52nd annual race at Dover this weekend, and 21 of those were won by Hendrick Motorsports. So it's a Hendrick Motorsports track. Jimmy Johnson has 11, Jeff Gordon 5, Bodine 1, Schrader 1, Ricky Rudd 1, Chase Elliott 1, and Alex Bowman 1. So uh, the stars lined up for Hendrick Motorsports yesterday at Dover International Speedway. Uh, they took uh, their notes or whatever, and uh, they the, all of those drivers worked together, and uh, they really accomplished a huge, huge feat. What they did yesterday is tough to do weekend and week out um, because only three teams have ever done that. So I think you have to put it into perspective. Uh, and, and I think Jay did a good job of pointing out that, you know, some of these guys have had an up-and-down season. Uh, uh, Byron's been doing pretty good. He's second now in the series points. Kyle Larson's been knocking on the door of getting a second victory. He already has one victory. Uh, Chase Elliott's still winless this season. He's not too worried about it. Uh, and shouldn't be. He's the defending champion. Uh, but this is the halfway point of the season. So let's see what happens in the next half of the season, the next 13 races, and let's see what happens with Hendrick Motorsports. They're certainly running better as an organization this year than they ran last year, but I think that there are teams that are capable of running uh, right up there with them. Uh, and you, and Jay's right. The mo- one of the most consistent teams is uh, Denny Hamlin, uh, who is 101-point lead 
in the series point standings. Um, and uh, certainly Martin Truex, who has the three wins uh, on the season, and, uh, uh, you know, some other teams, six other teams are also looking for their first win of the season, and I think in the second half we're probably going to see at least some of those six drivers uh, get a victory. So I, I, I think that we've got to put it into perspective uh, and, yeah, they're having a great season. Uh, will it continue in the second half? It probably will. Uh, I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. Uh, but I think that there's plenty of other teams to compete with them as the season progresses and right into the playoffs. So uh, we'll just see what happens in the second half. Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, I said going into the season that I expected Hendrick Motorsports to put together a dominant season like we haven't seen since 2007. I don't necessarily think they're going to win half the races this year like they did in 07, but I think it's really panning out where it's hard to say which Hendrick team is the best out of the four, but all four of them have a pretty strong case to be made around them. Uh, William Byron, I think, is, is still getting slept on. He is, he's, like you said, he's up to second in points. He is at an 11-race and counting top 10 streak so far this year. and That's just phenomenal. We haven't had a race yet this season where at least one of the Hendrick Motorsports cars hasn't been up front and competing for that win, and usually it's been multiple cars. Like Jay said, the five has been dominating a lot of races and just seems to be able to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, but unlike the old Kyle Larson where if somebody got by him in the last 10, 15 laps of the race like Ryan Blaney did at Atlanta or Alex Bowman did at Dover this past weekend, old Kyle Larson would have stuffed it in the fence trying to chase him down. Now we're seeing a much more mature, disciplined Kyle Larson willing to take what the race car is going to give him, even if that isn't going to be the win for the day. Kyle Larson seems to be a little bit more content to finish second versus 32nd trying to chase a win. Uh, Chase Elliott, Hasn't had a win so far this year, but another very consistent season. Only a few finishes outside of the top ten coming up. we got a first road course in a while this weekend at Coda, and we've got three more after that before the playoffs start. So expect to see Chase Elliott pick up a win at one of those. As far as teams that compete with them, Denny Hamlin in the 11 car has been kind of interesting. We haven't seen a lot from him lately. He's holding a pretty strong series point lead, but I can't help but feel that he's almost on a a declining trend a little bit, whereas William Byron is on an ascending trend. Um, Denny's had some issues, for example, the two back-to-back speeding penalties at Talladega and other little mistakes like that. It really – it gives you kind of the feeling that the 11 team is strong, but they're not as strong as, say, the 24 team right now in terms of consistency. Obviously, Denny doesn't have a win. William Byron has one. But if I was going to bet on one of those two drivers to get their next win this season, Denny is first or William is second, I would put everything I got on William Byron to pick one up first before Denny Hamlet, just based on the consistency. Martin Truex, again, we were talking consistency not as consistent as the 11, but he does have those three wins, and it seems like he is another driver that's kind of on the uphill trend versus a downhill trend like the 11 car. So looking at the 19, I would say he's probably – I agree with you all. He's probably the next best competition to the Hendrick Motorsports cars. The other teams, Team Penske, Stuart Haas Racing, I don't know that they're in the same league this year as Joe Gibbs Racing and Hendrick Motorsports. I'd like to see them get there, but I don't know that they are yet, and I don't know that they're going to be able to get there anytime really soon. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, I really, you know, tend to agree with what Mike says there. I mean, as far as, 
you know, just kind of looking at top organizations for this year, you've really got to say that it's um, Hendrick and Gibbs, and, and you can probably throw the honorable mention to Team Penske. Um, uh, this is something that Cher and I talked about on the show. I, I think that the four team of Harvick, you'll you should be able to see them make a playoff case later in the year. But yeah, the rest is SHR. I, I think there's a lot of work to be done there to get the other three teams up to speed. So um, as far as like teams that I think that can compete with the, the, the real top ones, um, you know, really if I got to go with the overall top organization right now, you almost do have to say that it's team or it's Hendrick Motorsports just because all four of their cars seem to be at the front or close to it on a weekly basis. And and really Joe Gibbs racing has been pretty good too, um, in particular with the 19 and 11, but um, the 20 isn't consistently up front despite having one race. And, um, you know, the 11 has been really, really good. As I said, the 11 and 19, um, trying to think of the fourth car is there. Uh, the, the they don't even have a fourth car, do they? 20, or am I missing something? Yeah. The um, oh, Kyle Busch. Duh, I don't know how I forgot that. Uh, brain freeze, I guess. Bush has been getting <laughs> better. I think certainly Kyle Busch has, and, and certainly having a win, I think you know puts them in a better spot than they were last year. But um, just that overall consistency from a consistency standpoint Hendrick Motorsports really did their their homework over the off season and uh you know it seems like somebody from that team is is in contention to win and the cool part about it is you really don't know who um you know Alex Bowman um you know for him to to be doing what he's doing is uh is pretty good albeit maybe a little bit inconsistent but that's a team that seems to be getting hot at the right time so I don't know um but you know, a lot of a uh, lot of work went into uh, their program for this season, no doubt. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you could really even argue against Hendrick being the top organization. Joe Gibbs Racing is right there with them. Uh, again, Kyle Busch is one of those. He's got the win, but we've seen some inconsistencies in the years for, from him. Again, I believe he finished twenty uh, seventh, maybe. He had to recover to finish twenty seventh after picking up his win a couple of weeks ago, I kind of put him with Alex Bowman of, yeah, the wins are occasionally coming, but is that enough? I mean, especially when you're talking about, and even Harvick. Harvick having his year, he's still finishing top ten. He's just not winning like he had, mm-hmm. uh, not quite to the level of Denny Hamlin. But I think the sleeper organization there is Penske. You got what three of the, all three of their drivers have a win, uh, Matt DiBenedetto not being uh, one of the actual Penske teams, but part of that organization. Uh, not super consistent, as we've seen from the other two, but they each have a win, and they're always up there. And, again, the top ten, minus their off week uh, that we've seen. Brad Keselowski uh, first comes to mind. Uh, Joey didn't have the best of races either as far as being a top five like we've seen. So I think those are the three got to look at anyway, um, and that's where that one sneaking in in the four spot. Like I said, I think I kind of have a view of three that in my mind are pretty much locked in or getting close to it. Uh, but the playoffs are what they are, and, and we've seen it in the past. Like I said, I go back to last year. Who wouldn't have put Harvick into the final four? 
Yeah, and that was the point that I was going to make is that last year, um, you know, Harvick was so great during the regular season, and then he just fizzled out during the playoffs. These streaks are super, super hard to maintain uh, for 26 races and then into the playoffs for another 10. Um, So I think we just hit the midway part, the midway point, of the regular season. We've got 13 more races uh, in the regular season. And I always feel like in the second half, we see different teams emerge than what we saw during the first half. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens. We talked about it earlier. I know Andy and I keep referring to this. But there are some teams uh, that, you know, just might be kind of starting to gain their stride a little bit uh, that may emerge during the second half that may make it a whole different ball game by the time we get to race 26. So, and then again, you you never know what's going to happen in the last 10 races. Um, So if you're looking at that snapshot of the midpoint, you have to say that that is one of the strongest teams, Hendrick Motorsports, uh, but I do think there are other teams uh, that can't contend, and Joe Gibbs Racing is right there with them. Uh, I'm kind of repeating the same things that you guys have already said. So I, I guess I don't really have a lot to add if we're looking at the snapshot of the first half of the season. I just want to put a caution flag out, if you will, to say a lot can happen in the next 13 races. Uh, we might be having an entirely different conversation when we get to uh, race 26. So, Mike, what are your final thoughts on the subject? Oh, well, before I well, do you can that, be Mike, a... before okay. I do that, let me make the announcement. Uh, we're at that point of the night where uh, I do a special announcement, especially for our first-time listeners. Uh, we're going to go off the air right at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and so that means you're going to hear us go off the air mid-sentence. Just know that we are continuing to record the rest of our conversation as part of our bonus overtime material that's available on our podcast. Now, I go out on Twitter when we finish up our conversation here, usually about 30 minutes uh, later, and let you know that the that we're finished and that the podcast is available. At that point, you can go, you can fast forward to the two hour mark on the player, and then hear the rest of the conversation uh, as part of that bonus overtime material. Uh, so again, just an alert for especially new time listeners, uh, so that you're not confused by what's going on when we go off the air. So, Mike, go ahead with your follow up. Well, I was going to say you could be on uh, Jeff and Clint's put it out segment there. Um, anyway, uh, one guy who we <laughs> haven't mentioned, and I don't, I wouldn't say that he's in the championship picture discussion, at least not at this point, but I really want to keep an eye on Christopher Bell this weekend. We're kind of going down the same road we did going into Daytona where everyone's starting to write Chase Elliott's name in, at least in pencil on the trophy. And they did the exact same thing at Daytona. And then this guy named Christopher Bell came up and, and, and won the race. So he's had an off year with the exception of that win. He hasn't been a really strong contending car week in and week out. He's in the back half of the points, even with the win. 
Um, so I'm really interested to see if his win at Daytona was just kind of a fluky deal or if Christopher Bell is someone who we consider could be, you know, a for real kind of a guy, at least on a road course. We expected him to do really well at the dirt, uh, dirt Bristol race, and he ended up wrecking out with Kyle Larson, the other guy that everyone was writing in on the trophy. So I guess that kind of leaves the, the road course now for – what can Christopher Bell show us that he hasn't shown us week in and week out at some of the more traditional tracks that we go to? Okay. Andy, that brings us to you for the next hot topic. Well, I guess we should probably talk about everyone's favorite, and that is the possibility of moving the car numbers, which is becoming more (laughs) increasingly likely for 2022. Okay, Jay. Okay. That's it. That's it. That's all I got to say. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Well, if Jay's not going to say anything, I will. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it with the fire of a thousand suns. I hate it. I think it is a terrible idea. There are very, very (laughs) few things in NASCAR's lineage that can be traced all the way back to the very beginning of the sport and be recognized through every single year of competition that the NASCAR Cup Series or whatever name it has gone by over the previous almost 70 years, there are very, very few things that can be pointed at as a consistent thing that has existed every single year of competition. But having the number centered on the door is one of those very few things. And I think changing that, well, it probably won't have anything to do with the competition on track. I think it's something that's inherent and recognizable to NASCAR's very brand identity itself, and I think people are underestimating that. This is one of those instances where you're letting the bean counters run the show, and sometimes you've got to tell the bean counter that, yeah, maybe it looks good on paper, but it's not a good idea in practice. They're talking about, oh, well, we need more, G- uh, more, more real estate for the sponsors. Well, you've got the hood, the roof, the deck lid, the left rear quarter panel, the right rear quarter panel, the left front quarter panel, the right front quarter panel, the A pillar, the B pillar, the C pillar, (laughs) everywhere. Oh, the driver's fire suit, the cruise fire suit, the pit boxes, the merchandise, everywhere else. You've got plenty of real estate for sponsors' stickers. I don't think that moving the number back another 12 inches or whatever they're looking at is going to have some sort of fundamental shift that is worth upsetting nearly 70 years of tradition and history in terms of how these cars look. That's my take on it. Okay. Um, I'm kind of with Jay. I, it, it's not that big of a deal to me. As long as I can read the car number, I don't care where it's at, honestly. Um, and if it means that the sponsor is going to be happy, I think it's a positive move. Um, this, this is a dollars and cents business. It's not, uh, and, and there's few things that you do the same today that you did 70 years ago. So to me, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I would like to think that we do show some kind of progression over 70 years as opposed to being stalemated for 70 years, uh, or stuck on one thing for 70 years. Um, I, I, I don't hate it. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think, I don't think it's necessarily a great idea either. Uh, but I do think 
that if people are, are, are studying this, they're doing it for a reason. And I think that reason is bringing money into the sport. And uh, I think if, if we need that to survive, uh, why not? So it's not that big of a deal to me. So, Andy, what are your thoughts? start out by backing up something I said on a show last year when I think we talked about this last, and that's, you know, it's not going to drive me away. Um, you know, I'm more concerned about the on-track product and, and the racing at hand, and, and certainly if they decide to move the car numbers, um, I won't be driven away by it. But, you know, I definitely can share, you know, you know, echoing a lot of what Mike had to say, truthfully. Um, and I say that because um, I don't really understand why utilizing the, the, the door is going to make a huge difference. If you can't see the logo on the hood, the sides, the top, and the wherever, then then I don't really know what to tell you. I, I think that I don't know if they're using, like, he, like, like Mike said, bean counters or computer programs. I don't know what they're using. And, yeah, maybe the numbers look favorable for utilizing the, the, the doors or whatever, but I, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. The sponsors get plenty of exposure and placement on the car as it is. And, um, you know, the one thing, if they move the numbers back but they're still prominently placed, I'm going to be okay with that. But, you know, a really good point that's been brought up that I've seen, and I also agree with this, is that when it comes to NASCAR racing, we come to, you know, we come to know our particular driver's number in the way that that number is stylized. The stylized number is part of the experience as a race fan. We wear hats, we wear shirts, we buy cars with these numbers on them. The number is very much a part of the branding of the team and the sponsor whose logo is on that car. And so if we all of a sudden just push these numbers off to the side and, you know, hopefully don't make them smaller. But if we if we push the numbers out of the equation, you know, that's, that's a loss because the number, unlike some forms of racing where the car simply has a really small number just slapped any old place on the car, NASCAR Racing's brand identity for these drivers and teams is the car number along with the sponsor, but even more so in NASCAR because it's not the same sponsor in the car every week now. But what does what does stay the same is the car number, and, and you know every team's got their own stylized number that is iconic. Think about the number three for Dale Earnhardt, the forty-three for Richard Petty. Those numbers, car on the door, are iconic to that driver, and that team, and that sponsor, whatever the case may be. Sponsors come and go, drivers come and go, but what doesn't change is the car number. So. I hope we don't lose sight of that because the car number is a big part of this sport in brand recognition, driver recognition, whatever the case may be. And it would be very disappointing if we got away from that. So I hope I hope that if they're going to move them, they are still very prominent and have a big place on the race car because if we, if we just make the number an afterthought, that is a huge, 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 did I say huge mistake if they, if we get, away from the numbers having a prominent spot on the race car because that's just part of the sport. That is part of stock car racing. And, um, you know, I think that, like I said, obviously sponsors paid the bills and I don't know who's 
who studied this or who did what. Uh, supposedly the race team alliance had something to do with this, or they I think they might have hired Nielsen, I believe, to, to do a study. And what that entails, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. But um, I don't know. I just, you know, certainly it, it is hard to break old habits and it is hard to break traditions. And, you know, certainly – I haven't been a fan as long as maybe some of you guys have, but, you know, over 20 years now and certainly been through a lot of changes in the sport, um, which I've been okay with, but I'm also a fan of at least keeping some tradition and we've been on a kick lately of changing everything, I guess, you know, for whatever reason. And it would be nice to at least see some tradition remain in the sport and that would be the car number. So, like I said, I won't be totally driven away. You know, that would be foolish to to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I do hope that we can retain, uh, you know, at least some recognition and with, with keeping the numbers not only prominently placed on the race car, but, you know, certainly iconic in, in the current sense that they are uh, of being stylized a certain way um, and connected to the driver and team. So, um I, like I said, I, I really hope that, um, you know, maybe we'll do this and they'll deem it a mistake and it'll go back to the way it was. I don't I don't really know. I, I'll have to see it firsthand. But um, the all-star race last year was okay. Um, I, I really didn't have too big of an issue with that. And, you know, hopefully whatever they do with the new car next year, it looks good. And if it looks good, you know, cool, we'll move on and, and we'll deal with it and we'll get used to it. Um, but, you know, I I think that, if if you had to ask me right now, would I rather they be in the in the middle of the door or move somewhere else? I would pick middle of the door, like we've been since the beginning of time. So, uh, but you know, I don't. It's not the Andy Lasky Cup series, unfortunately. So I can't make that decision. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I de- definitely have follow up now. Uh, again, being part of the team and the crew. <laughs> things get brought to you a different perspective. So the fact that Mike hates it so much, I'm in favor of it now. That that was my influence. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> uh, that, that was my first thought. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Mike was that anti. I'm like, well, maybe I am in favor of it. No, Th- there's two sides to it. And, and I'm with Sharon still. I, I'm in the middle. The, the side of it of, of that if that's what the sponsors need, to counter what Mike's saying of the bean counters, we got to have the sponsors. We've seen that. Teams go away because they can't find sponsors. If we want good, competitive, on-track action, it takes the sponsors. So they have a part in it. But both Andy and Mike have countered it with some good points of NASCAR identity as far as the series versus other series, the tradition of it, which we've seen NASCAR shoot themselves in the foot a couple of times by going away from certain traditions and what. So you've got to find that balance. And and I think that's the key is finding the balance that keeps both sides happy. Uh, you know, and Sharon put it too of it. You do have to evolve and grow. We don't see the cars we saw on the track. We don't see the Superbirds uh, anymore. You know, we have all, although different in style this year or next year now with the, uh, the next-gen car of trying to go back to some of that. You didn't see them go full up where you can run whatever you want, whatever style you want with the wing and everything else. So to me, it's all about balance. Um, But as a whole, me personally as a fan, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have a, can say I care where the number is. It does need to be on there, uh, as they did with the All Star race, and what I've seen some of the, the pictures on Twitter uh, of moving it back at least a little bit, maybe even up and to the right side of it when you're looking at it. I'm okay with that, but that does kind of lend towards the IMSA Racing Series, the WeatherTech IMSA Racing Series, which then you're getting into the NASCAR brand identity of this is how NASCAR's mm-hmm. done it. So I, I see both sides. Okay, Mike, your turn for follow-up. Like Jay said, there's got to be a balance and common sense between just doing exclusively what the sponsor wants to do versus what is better for NASCAR as a broader brand as opposed to just an individual sponsor's brand. If we just did what the sponsor wanted to do, we'd be selling the windshield like Ricky Bobby. I mean, that's stupid and it's pointless, but, man, people love Fig Newtons, right? (laughs) Um, So I don't know that that's probably the best idea to to put sponsor advertising on the windshield of the race car. Um, But – I bet you certain sponsors would like it, and they said, oh, well, you know, we've got our delivery vans out there, and they've got these perforated decals, and you can see through them, we can sell the windshield. Well, that's probably still not the best idea for a lot of different reasons, safety not the least among them. So there, there's got to be some, some balance there, and I think in this case the balance has got to be a pushback from NASCAR as a whole, whether they, I, I'm sure they've got a historian that's associated with the, uh, the series and a brand manager who's associated with the NASCAR brand, not, the, you know, not any entitlement sponsor or anything like that, but NASCAR itself as a brand. Those are the kind of people who should have to look at this and go, hey, wait a minute. We need to look and see if we are selling an additional square foot of real estate at the expense of 70 plus years of tradition and the identity of our brand as a whole as a sport as well as each individual brand and i think a lot of things that even sponsors maybe don't realize is when you think of 43 and you specifically think about the richard petty cars even if the sponsor is not on the on the car i bet you think just a little bit about stp because you saw that, that car for years with that number in that font and that style. Well, it's like Andy said, if you start minimizing that, you take away a little bit of that association. And I think that's a little bit of something that may have been overlooked in terms of, well, we've got to get our corporate logo out there and not understanding the associations that may last even longer than the corporate logo does on the side of the race car. Well, Here's what I'm going to say. I'm more concerned about the on-track racing product than I am about the stupid numbers. And you guys are making an assumption that some idiot came up with this idea, and that may not be the case. The Race Team Alliance asked Nielsen to do this research for a reason. Uh, And I do think that um, there are... How do I want to put this? (laughs) There are indications to me that NASCAR is looking to change their brand. Uh, And they've they've done a number of things to change their brand. And I think they are moving more toward uh, a sportier look in the NASCAR series. I, you know, my mom used to wash clothes through a ringer washing machine. Do I, do I want to keep that tradition in my family for the next 70 years because it was kind of a cool thing to have a ringer washing machine? No way. I love the convenience 
of having a washer and a dryer and being able to do my laundry the way I do it now. If somebody comes up with something new and a different way of doing the laundry that makes it easier and better, then I'm going to be all for it. Um, But this car number thing is not that big of a deal, guys. (laughs) It just isn't. Um, The number three is still going to be iconic to Dale Earnhardt Sr., The number eight is still going to – I think that Dale Earnhardt Jr. when I see the number eight. And I don't care how it looks, the number eight is going to remind me of Dale Earnhardt Jr. The number three is going to remind me of Dale Sr. So those are iconic numbers. The 43 is always going to remind me of Richard Petty. I don't care where it is on the car. It's still going to remind me of Richard Petty. Um, I, I just think you're making a mole out of, I mean, a mountain out of a molehill. And uh, I understand wanting to resist change or to, to hold on to certain traditions and stuff, but that's not the way life works. We move on and we, we, we rebrand. NASCAR is not the only company that's ever rebranded. Um, and, and they're in the process of going through a rebranding. And uh, I think that, uh, again, they make those decisions for, for business reasons. Uh, as a fan, as long as it doesn't affect the racing, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal for me. So, Andy, I, I don't mean to belittle anybody here, but I, I just think it's a, a, a making a mountain out of a molehill. It's a number. <laughs> Andy. Yeah, and you know, and, and we're obviously everyone has differing opinions on it, and that's totally fine. I just, you know, my concern, and it's not even so much about moving it. If they move it, whatever, you know, I'm not going to not watch as a result. But, you know, the first thing they'll do is move it, and then they'll decide that it's too big, so then they'll shrink it down. And, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is um, – if the number becomes an afterthought, eventually, maybe we get used to it. I don't know, but I just think that it takes away from the identity of the teams, you know, and it takes away the identity of the drivers. So, um, to me, the number is important. It always has been important since I started watching, you know, and it, you know, hat, t-shirts, whatever the case may be, has all that stuff on it. The number including the way that it is stylized is just, it's part of the experience as a fan, at least for me. Um, I realize some people don't care and that's fine. But for me as a, as a long time race fan, um, the number and the number of my driver means something to me. So that's why personally I want it to at least be prominent and still have its identity. And I, I mean, it's not worth getting worked up over because we don't even know what they're going to do yet. <laughs> so until they actually do it, you know, and, and see what it looks like, I'm not going to try to be too upset about it, but I'm hoping that, you know, whatever they decide to do, hopefully it works for sponsors and hopefully, you know, it's still an iconic part of the experience and everyone's happy, right? So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I thought, like I we said, saw I thought what they did yep. at the All-Star race, I thought what they did at the All-Star race last year was fine, honestly. So we'll see. Yep. Um, but uh, certainly going to keep watching and talking about racing no matter what. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. 
You know, when Jeff Burton changed his number, we didn't, uh, <laughs> we bought new T-shirts, right? Uh, yeah. Well, How many number two, changes so. did we go through? Huh? <laughs> uh, at least, well, at least two, 99 to the uh, the 31. Wasn't he like a different number? He was a 30, I think, for a while, too. That's right. It was the 30 for about six months, and then it was the 31 for quite a long time, actually, several years. So we had the Prilosec car and the Singular. I mean, there were a lot of iconic looks there, too. But for us, anyway, as Jeff Burton fans. Okay, uh, Jay, let's move on to the next topic. Well, I, I just got to say, Sharon, if you're going to make a, a, a reference such as to uh, holding on to tradition and using the uh, the crank wash machine, it, it's got to be relative <laughs> to everybody. And Mike and I being Air Force, we use dry cleaners. You know, we take it to a business. So I don't know if we can relate to that. <laughs> I can't get that image out of my head now. Well, well then the point being that, you know, we didn't keep the same washing machine for tradition throughout the ages, we we advanced, we moved on. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> okay. All right. So go um, ahead, we uh, we talked about uh, Alex Bowman in the conversation of, of Hendrick Motorsports, and obviously getting a second win, which is the first time he's done that multiple wins in a year. He is in a contract year, and I believe it was Rick Hendrick that said it is pretty much uh, all but written. Uh, if I'm wording that as Hendrick said it, um, and it looks to be a multi-year, uh, does that surprise anybody, and is it the right move? Okay, Mike, you're the first up. Well, going into the year, uh, it definitely would have surprised me. I did not expect Alex Bowman to have as strong of a year as he's had so far. Uh, it's been up and down. Let's let's not sugarcoat it too much. He's had some inconsistency. They've definitely had some rough finishes. Yes, they've got two wins, but they've also got several uh, finishes outside of the top 20 and even into the top, outside of the top 30 uh, due to various either mechanical failures or crashes or a combination. So. Yeah, obviously that can't all be pinned on the driver, but things happen, and the finish is what the what the finish is. And if that had cost Alex Bowman a ride, he'd certainly be far from the first driver let go through circumstances that weren't all entirely within his control. But I think getting those two wins, especially early in the season like it is, I said a couple of weeks ago after Bowen won at Richmond, there's no better leverage for contract negotiation than a couple trophies sitting next to you at the negotiating table. So I think Alex Bowman's in a great spot. Uh, it's very clear that Mr. Hendrick likes him uh, just based on not even so much the words that he said, but just – kind of the nonverbal way you could see him interacting with Alex. You can tell it's almost like Rick Hendrick had a fatherly kind of air with Jeff Gordon. And it's almost like he's got a grandfatherly kind of an air uh, with his current drivers, because really that is the age gap at this point. And I like what I see there. I think uh, assuming that Hendrick Motorsports brings four cars back for next season, I don't see a change in the Hendrick Motorsports lineup. I think Alex Bowman is back along with his three current Hendrick teammates. Okay, Andy? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think that uh, Alex has made a a pretty strong case to start the year for why he should be back. In fact, uh, uh, from what I've read today, uh, Mr. Hendricks said that it's nothing but a formality as far as them just getting it done. They've already begun working on it. So um, the driver lineup that they have right now is 
not only very young, but it's also very talented. And I, I think that uh, while we've seen some changes here and there to their lineup in recent years, I think the four that you see now is the four you're going to see for, for quite some time. And the only question mark I had possibly was Alex Bowman, but uh, he's certainly done a lot to um, you know, prove his worth and uh, at least remain on that team for you know another year or two, hopefully longer. So um, I really don't see any changes with Hendrick Motorsports anytime soon. And uh, you know certainly I think um, any one of them right at this point in time, based on how strong their cars are, any one of them could win on a weekly basis. So um, probably going to be no changes there. Yeah. I can't say that I'm really surprised. I've known Alex Bowman since before he was racing in NASCAR's top three. Um, I kind of stuck with him through his, uh, you know, racing with Tommy Baldwin racing and and, uh, some of these other teams that really did not showcase what his talent is. Uh, And it's not until he came to Hendrick Motorsports that I think he was able to showcase exactly what his talent is. So I I really think uh, Alex is just as talented as uh, uh, William Byron and Chase Elliott and and uh, Kyle Larson. And I think that – I think Dandy's right. I think that the four drivers that are at Hendrick Motorsports now are going to be there for quite some time. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see him having success – at Hendrick Motorsports uh, for that reason because he's uh, he's uh, worked really, really hard and had to go through the trenches, if you will, in order to get where he's at. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for the multi-year deal for him. And uh, I look for Hendrick Motorsports to have a strong organization, uh, you know, that they've been building toward this and it's starting to happen. Uh, but they're going to have their peaks and valleys too. So... But I'm happy for the success that they're seeing, and I hope it continues for a while. So, Jay, your thoughts? Well, one thing I look at when you talk about Hendrick Motorsports, uh, if I compare it to other organizations, I think they are more committed to their drivers that fit within Mm -hmm. their organization and represent them well in the talent they have. Uh, We've seen that in the past when it comes to Casey Kane, um, Mark Martin, you don't see a lot of driver changeover at Hendrick Motorsports. Now, I know if, if somebody's going to counter-argue me here the Kyle Busch deal, but that was one of those where I think that just didn't mesh as far as the personality uh, with Hendrick Motorsports. They put more focus on providing the best equipment they can so the driver can showcase that talent. And I think that's where Alex Bowman fits in even when Hendrick didn't have a ride, he brought him into that organization as the uh, simulator tester uh, for the team. We saw Landon Castle is one that had been with him forever with that same role. So I think that, that says what Hendrick believes in the, in the talent of the driver and then does the best to provide them the opportunity. And I, I know there was some concern at the beginning of the year uh, when it comes to sponsorship at the end of last year and going into this year. But I think that, as you said, Alex Bowman is living up to it. We've, so we've, he's still having that kind of roller coaster and consistent season, but he did pick up his second win, which means from previous years he's shown improvement. It's not just one win. 
And they pointed out somebody, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or Race Hub, it's been on four different styles of tracks that he has gotten his four wins at. So that is something that an owner is going to look at. You don't want to bring in just a road crash runner or a short track expert. You want somebody that's going to be consistent throughout and show that improvement and build upon it. So uh, I know we talked about this with the possibility of junior motorsports moving up and how that might play in, you know, and that may be part of the part of something they're looking at. But uh, like I said, I, you just don't see a lot of driver change over at Hendrick Motorsports. Okay, Mike, follow up. Jay, I really hate to do it, especially the way you dug at me earlier, but I got to agree with you. Uh, If William Byron had stayed in the Toyota pipeline, he probably would have been let go after the end of last year. And one of the other drivers in the pipeline probably would have taken his place. Just based on the first three years of William Byron's season, uh, of of his cup career, it was real easy to say that William Byron was not living up to expectations. He was kind of a dud, kind of a flop. And we kind of had the same, we were putting him into the same kind of box that Daniel Suarez and Eric Jones fell into by virtue of being in that, as it's been described, the Toyota meat grinder. And you're absolutely right that Hendrick Motorsports and Chevrolet in general, they tend to take a little bit more time to develop their drivers. They give them a little bit more leeway to make mistakes, maybe have a bad season or three. And now look at where we're at with William Byron. He's having a phenomenal season. Second in points, one win so far, knocking on the door every single weekend. Same thing for Chase Elliott. His first three years in the 24 car were not bad. He made the playoffs every year, but he won almost 100 races before he won that first race, despite all the hype around him. And he's another driver that everyone was they were tar- starting to, to, to whisper about. You know, was Chase Elliott overrated? Was he, was he not the prospect he was made out to be? And now he's the defending champion. So I think that, that speaks volumes about Rick Hendrick and that organization's willingness to hang on to drivers, develop them, see the potential, and not cut them loose at the first or second sign of adversity. And it really is starting to pay fruit this year as we see Hendrick Motorsports dominant this past weekend and very strong every weekend so far this year. Andy? Uh, I don't really have any follow-up to this one. Um, But, um, yeah, just to close it out, I do think that – you know, the the young lineup that they have at HMS right now is, is there to stay, and, and I think that they're going to be potent for years to come. Yeah, I have to agree. I don't have a whole lot to add there. I think we we pretty much said it all. You guys all brought up some really good points. Jay, closing comments? Well, just to finish it off, look, I look at Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. When they left, it was on their terms. They were not forced out, uh, even when they're in their prime or a championship contending. Uh, even Gordon went through a, somewhat of a slump, if you will call it. But Hendrick stood by him and, and gave, a, in the case of uh, Jeff Gordon, part of the organization. So uh, that's, a, that's what makes me feel like, like, like I said, that they're just going to stand behind their drivers that fit into, I don't want to say mold, but belief system or whatever at their organization because I know Kyle didn't quite fit in there. Uh, he made that leap to Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing and does there, so everybody came out ahead with that. But that when you see drivers are able to walk away on their terms at their choice versus being forced out, uh, just tells me what what Hend- Rick Hendrick said. I think Mike is one that put it as a father or grandfather figure that they're going to stand by him. 
Yep, that's always a good thing. Okay, we're at that time of the night for our roundtable. So, Mike, we'll start with you. Mike underscore is on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Nothing really in the pipeline right now. I'll have to think of something here soon because the last article I've got is getting a little stale. I'll come up with something. Somebody's got to be coming up on a hot seat article or something like that. We'll see. All my, uh, my hot seat candidates I had going into the season, uh, Alex Bowman and William Byron, they're kind of uh, <laughs> they're exceeding expectations. <laughs> so I'll have to look a little bit deeper into the field and see who else maybe I can write, uh, write a little bit on here before the end of the month. Okay. Uh, Jay. Jay, did we lose you? Nope. I hit the wrong button again. Uh, You can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook and MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I got to say, when it it comes to that, Sharon, I saw you were a little active on Twitter tonight when we were talking about it. I saw you in, uh, I don't know who it was, you were... (laughs) Going back and forth with uh, defending Alex Bowman, and I, you know, I liked every one of them. I think you made some very great points uh, on that. So, uh, if you're not on Twitter, and I know we, we need Twitter followers for Tommy as as he's building his, uh, see if we can get him some more followers. I love to see that good interaction on Twitter. I, I know we have some very negative in a lot of different ways, but that's true no matter what the social media platform. But I think Twitter is a great one. And I, I like the way you were very respectful about it, Sharon. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, I just wanted to point out that he's in really great equipment. That's why he's doing better. And that, uh, I, again, I just think that he's uh, he's a great guy. I've known him for a long time. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and go to Andy, who is our co-host tonight. Thank you for that. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, happy to be on, and I think this might be the first time in forever that I know for sure I'll do both shows this week. Um, I'll be on Thursday night for sure um, to do, I guess, Hot Topics at 10, so looking forward to that, and uh, obviously uh, looking forward to uh, the week ahead. Disappointed that I don't know how much I'm going to actually get to watch this weekend because I'm working, but... Um, definitely an anticipated race weekend. Um, anytime there's an inaugural weekend at a new track, it's always exciting. So really looking forward and thinking about that and, and looking forward to uh, being back on Thursday. Okay. I am uh, your CB14 fan, Andy? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. Uh, I am going to be heading down to Texas this week, but I don't know if I'm going to get to Dakota races. It happens to be my grandson's birthday, and uh, I know the 22nd is going to be tied up with that, uh, but I've been trying to talk my son into going to one of the races. Uh, Whether or not we accomplish that is yet to be determined, but uh, I am super excited for Dakota races. I have been ever since they announced it and uh, definitely looking forward to those events this weekend. Um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforacing.com. I have an article from Tommy I'm putting out uh, hopefully tomorrow morning, uh, and that's about the SRX series uh, that is soon to be racing six events this summer. And uh, he gives some really good info in there, uh, so that fans can kind of prepare 
uh, for what to expect in the SRX uh, when they have their first race at Stafford Speedway. So uh, look for that to be coming out soon. Uh, we've got uh, Sam's recap up today, and uh, I hope uh, Owen is able to give us our power ranking for this week, and uh, we'll get that up uh, as well. Uh, we did do the pre-Dover power ranking, uh, and uh, that was uh, that's always fun to read from Owen. Uh, again, uh, we have a big weekend of racing. Jay and I will be back on air this Thursday night. We do have Jesse Love uh, joining us uh, on Thursday night, and I'm looking forward to that. He's last year's champion in the ARCA West, uh, so definitely looking forward to talking to him before uh, their next race comes up. So, uh, again, uh, I can't think of anything else other than to say thank you to our listeners and to our Fan for Racing crew. Uh, we appreciate all that everybody does as far as tuning in to hear what we have to say and our team uh, for their contributions to the conversation and to the website uh, on an uh, every week basis. So definitely appreciate each and every one of you. So uh, with that, I guess we're ready to call it a night, guys, and we'll Talk to everybody again on Thursday night from Texas. Night, everybody. I'm I'm gonna go utilize that new brand new washing machine I got. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> Good night. Good night.